This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Daniel Welling, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. And I'm very excited to announce that this episode is sponsored once again by our good buddy Jeff Maxfield. Now you may remember Jeff from way back a few years ago. He had a Kickstarter for a King Liger figure. Well, he's back with a new project. I'm talking about Neo Fighters in association with Mile High Safuvi. These are a collection of lovingly hand-sculpted, amazingly crafted two-inch tall figures with one devastating point of articulation. Back this amazing project now to receive buttons, stickers, artwork, early access to the Neo Fighters, new variants, and stretch goals will unlock new characters from the Neo Fighter universe. Now, this is available on Kickstarter, and the best place to find it will be by searching for Neo-Fighters. That's Neo-Fighters. There is a link in the episode description below as well to back Jeff's project. Add these to your minifigure collection. Beautiful, independent, and so cool. These figures are awesome. I want them in my collection. You'll want them in yours as well. Support independent creators in wrestling. I'm back Jeff Maxfield and Neo-Fighters. Search for that on Kickstarter. But for now, settle in, get comfortable. It's time for Jake the Snake Roberts. and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. Don't worry, trust me on this one. And today we are slithering our way through one of the most iconic, controversial, spoken about names in wrestling. It is the one and only Jake the Snake Roberts. Hi once again, it's me, your old pal Cowboy Kevin, Joined as I am by the Damien to my Jake Roberts, i.e. the secret weapon that makes this way better than it has any right to be, uh, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing? Sorry for comparing you to a snake. Oh, no, I like that. I think snakes are really cool. We've learned this much, at least from doing this episode, that you are a closet reptile head. Not even a closet reptile. I've always loved snakes. I think snakes are so cool. The main takeaway from this whole episode, I think, is I want a snake. Yeah. I just like all the, all the promos with Jake... <laughs> there's a bit where he's in the shower holding a snake and there's another bit where he's just like walking around with a snake around his neck and I was just so jealous I really oh I wish I could touch a snake right now okay I feel there are episodes where we start where it feels like you know there's a lot to talk about obviously there might be some heavy stuff ahead and I think that is definitely the case with Jake Roberts there's lots of things to talk about ups and downs and creamy middles and all of that but it seems to me Joe that you can't help but hide the massive excitement in your voice. You've had a good time finding out about Jake Roberts, it seems. Yes, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with him, to be honest. I, I really like him. <laughs> I really like him. Okay, before I get into like what, what it is that makes you really like him, because I'm sure there'll be plenty of this on the episode, <laughs> what, if anything, did you know about Jake before we got into doing the episode proper and our research and stuff, because there was a lot of watching for Jake involved here tonight. Hmm, Jake, I think, was one of the earliest wrestlers I, I heard about when you and I first met. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely because of you. <laughs> Thank that's you. That's your fault. <laughs> Thank you very much. You Make sure you listen to our Cinema Club bonus episodes to find out my incredibly great dating strategies. Uh, Beyond the Mat is pretty much... It's as good as a three-course meal, really, in terms of the romance, you know? (laughs) Excuse me, sorry, go on. (laughs) 
So, yeah, I think it was like our fourth or fifth date. It was like the, well, the first time you stayed over and we watched Beyond the Mat. And I hadn't seen like a single wrestling match before, I think. Or you, I... You'd seen some Mick Foley, though, I'd I swear. Some, some Mick Foley bits. I mean, long... that, that was the driving force. Yeah. yeah. Long, long-term <laughs> listeners of this podcast will know that my entryway into wrestling was the Rock and Sock Connection Good on YouTube. Yeah. But I didn't watch matches. I watched promos mm. and silly goofs and stuff. Yeah. So I think by the time you showed me Beyond the Mat, I actually still hadn't seen a proper wrestling match, except for maybe Mankind versus The Undertaker at Hell in a Cell 1998. Ah, yes. Well, I mean, that second day, obviously. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 obviously. On, you know. Interesting now, because we actually sat down, you know, recently-ish, you know, we knew this episode was coming up, and I thought, you know, hey, fourth date was good, let 404th date, why don't we try what's Beyond the Mat again? And I was just wondering, like, when you revisited beyond the man we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more had you retained like was the jake you saw on that was that the jake that you had remembered so to speak when i first saw beyond the mat all those years ago the only thing i really remember about it is and but considering you know beyond the mat for people who've not seen it is isn't about just jake the snake mm. it's about a lot of different wrestlers going through different parts of their career different yeah. parts of their life dealing with different issues Jake is just one of many wrestlers who are covered on the documentary. Uh, alums of, from episodes such as Terry Funk, Paul Heyman, Mick Foley. Like, there's, they really go in depth with a lot of people. It's, it's a fascinating watch, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is. But Jake was the only one I remembered watching. Wow. Like, from, you know, considering we watched it however many years ago, and yeah. considering Mick Foley is in it, who I was familiar with, I actually, when we came to rewatch it again for this episode, I couldn't remember anything about it other than Jake. Wow. And all I remembered about Jake was he had a snake. Yeah. His life was very sad. And he had this charisma. This charisma. Like, this type of... It's something we talk about a lot in wrestling and a lot on this podcast, which is like, you know, wrestlers who just have this like X factor of this particular type of energy or mm. feeling that they can bring. And it just like makes their character feel extra complete or special. It's always great to go to like a random, you know, obviously while we're recording this, this, this sounds weird saying, but like if you go to like kind of a random indie show that kind of will rely on bringing in a few big names from the past to kind of, you know, buttress the local talent or whatever... That's always a very obvious thing because I remember going to see shows, you know, local shows with you and like big star names would come out who you weren't even familiar with. Yeah. So I remember like, like Alberto Del Rio or Melina or like just people who you didn't really know that much and they'd come out just for a surprise. But straight away you turned to me like kind of, they're a big deal, are they? And you go, mm. oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, it says nothing to their character or their people, but just... The X factor, I guess, is what it is, the closest thing to call it. Exactly. And it's not even necessarily to do with skill, like wrestling skill. No. It's its own special thing. I think that's the case with like certain just celebrities. They have this kind of like star power that just like makes people interested in them. Yeah, I don't want to get into a, you know, a lot of podcasts where, where we might take out the old divining rod now and talk about auras and energy and stuff <laughs> like that. But like for me, for a scientific background, the way I've always kind of reconciled, you know, people talk about auras and energies and, you know, people are having this 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 kind of glow about them or whatever. It's simply for me, is it, it's confidence. I think it's what it is ultimately, confidence in one's abilities or confidence in one's ability to speak or to to be able to to perform a certain way and even if you are being full of anxieties that doesn't come to the surface at all mm. jake roberts did you think when watching that for the first time here's a guy who is loved by wrestling fans pitied by wrestling fans 
hated by wrestling fans? Like, what sense did you get from him in your initial introduction to him, so to speak? To me, he came across as this, like, ultimate legend who, you know, was probably one of the best minds in wrestling ever. Mm. But then, I don't know, like, he had some issues, he had some demons, and... Either he turned the fans against him or he turned the industry against him or he just turned himself against the industry and the Mm. fans. But like, whatever happened, it just felt like he wasn't the same person that he used to be and that fans were only too well aware of that. Mm. And like, when I saw Beyond the Mat, I think I asked you like, what's what's Jake up to these days? Because I think I thought he was dead. Because like, you know, my first foray into wrestling, I'm learning a lot about how most wrestlers die really young. I mean, yeah, when you start looking at this kind of dark side of wrestling, and I would say it's one of the reasons why Jake is coming in, you know, year five of this podcast as opposed to year one. Because it's some pretty heavy stuff and not just typical wrestling tragedy. It's, yeah. it's more complicated than that. I kind of feel like even though I'd followed Jake's career since the mid since the late 90s, I've always known who Jake Roberts was. I remember being enraptured by watching old WrestleMania videos and thinking, I didn't like that style of wrestling, but this guy, you know, he seriously can really talk. But even still, I felt it's only in recent years through talking about these wrestlers and these more complicated people with you that I feel even remotely like equipped to pass comments on what he's been through or to try and make sense of it in the world of wrestling at large. So that's the thing. When when we watched Beyond the Mat for the first time, I think I asked you if he was dead and you were like, no, he's not dead. And I was like, oh great, is he still wrestling then? You're like, no, he's... <laughs> He's not in a great shape, like, because mm. at the end of Beyond the Mat, they kind of make out as though, you know, he's okay. You know, he's not great. He's not recovered, but he he's kind of... time in jail. Yeah, of, you know. he's trucking on. You know, mm. he's not at rock bottom anymore, but he's, you know, he's not exactly doing great either. And I remember seeing a picture of him in a wheelchair, I think, mm. or on crutches or something, and he just looked so sad and so old it was like him at the airport or something this was about yeah. five or six years ago and it, he just yeah he looked and it's not even like you know obviously i think you know everyone grows old and as a wrestler your body does fail you that's just that's just what happens mm. but it was the fact that there was this look in his eyes that was just so sad it was like like he couldn't be at peace with where his body was he wasn't happy with where things ended mm. and you see this quite a lot in, in wrestlers that have either retired after they were meant to or retired too soon because of injury. Mm. And that's the thing that always makes me really sad. Like, I I think it's great when wrestlers can, like, age peacefully and feel like their career has been as successful as they wanted it to be. But Jake just seemed like, just, I don't know, just like he'd kind of given up a bit. And, like, he he didn't get to where he wanted to go and he wasn't really happy about that. So I think it's kind of worth bearing in mind a couple of things. Just, I don't want to kind of, you know run ahead of ourselves but i think before we start any of the chat it's just kind of good to know at least how jake was perceived or what his kind of uh, assumed position was in wrestling for a lot of fans for many many years and i'd be the first to kind of admit that i would have been a part of a large group of fans who would have kind of viewed jake roberts in the early 2000s particularly as being both the poster child for like mind over matter in wrestling Mm -hmm. in terms of like just understanding and speaking softly and being able to understand the, the, the performance aspect of it and the psychology of everything else. But also at the same time, he was like the poster child for like fuck-ups in wrestling. As in, you're given the world, you've got all these skills and ability, you squander your gifts, you squander your ability, you make bad business decisions, you have personal demons that you very publicly battle. 
And much like with Scott Hall, he kind of, by a lot of us fans, I think was labelled as like a bit of a lost cause for many years. Mm. So I think when we're looking back at his career, it's worth bearing that in mind. And the only other little thing I want to say is just, we've obviously thought thought a lot on the role of wrestling media and fan podcasts such as ours in the discussion of people's kind of you know, wrestlers' journeys that they've been on. Yeah. And I think we talked a bit about it in the AJ Styles episode. A couple of weeks have passed since then, and I think we're obviously not in the midst of it exactly happening. I think we were quite upset and emotional while we were recording that bit. But I think it's worth bearing in mind with Jake, I don't want to like wave a flag and be like, it's the happy story ending, da-da-da-da. I'm not saying that because I'm like, I'm expecting him to relapse or anything like that, but I think we as wrestling fans, it's worth, when we start this journey here about Jake, to celebrate progress, but don't make out that every day is like the fucking happy ending and all no. that because we're about to talk about someone who I think his life has been a real struggle for many reasons some of them to do with wrestling and a lot of them I would hazard to say most of them Joe aren't to do with wrestling yeah he was was he someone who you felt kind of sorry for is that fair to say when you first saw the beyond the match because you said you'd seen a lot of kind of the imagery that made you feel kind of sad a little bit yeah, I would say I felt sorry-ish for him. I mm. think the first time I watched it, because, I mean, we'll talk about this a bit later on, but but his childhood was not good mm. at all. Like, uh, the way a lot of wrestlers from this era get into wrestling, it's through, you know, either troubled home lives yeah. or not having one at all or being abused or a combination of lots of things. And definitely you could tell that that, had followed him throughout his life mm. and I felt very bad for him in that respect. Okay. But not knowing anything else about him and only seeing beyond the mat and then that's it. I didn't feel that sorry for him mm. really actually the first time. I kind of felt What is it because you didn't know the heights truly to what he had reached kind of or I didn't know the heights. I didn't know how harshly everyone in the industry treated him. Mm. Because that's something I want to talk about later on is is how he gets, as you said, labelled as like the poster child for like fuck-ups in wrestling. Yeah. Which I think is really unfair. Mm. But we'll talk about that later. It was the... It, it was the fact that I think in Beyond the Mat, you know, they, they touch a little bit on what he went through, but they kind of make out a little bit, especially with the interviews with other people from the industry that was like well you know we all have yeah we all got problems we all got problems but you know some of us can wrestle our demons better than yeah, others yeah you know jake was just he just let his demons get the best of him you know and i kind of like i came out of the documentary the first time feeling like yeah well he didn't really try hard enough did he you know yeah. he's not as strong or as brave as like these other guys who didn't let their demons get the best of him and yeah. the second time of watching it I was a complete 180 on that. So here's a question for you. I, just, I really want to know this. The phrase personal demons, is that something that you had heard before you started watching wrestling? Because it, it seems to be a very specific to the world of sports entertainment and, and whatnot that grapplers can't have personal problems. They have to have personal demons. Mm. What is that term to you? Like, what is it weird? Is it strange? Or Wrestling wasn't the first time I came across it. I, to be honest, 
the main times I've heard of people use the terms personal demons is in regards to a man who has done something wrong and needs to make amends. Battling demons, And yeah. instead of saying, like, we made a mistake or, you know, you did something really mean or stupid or cruel or offensive or hurtful, you'll go, ah, they have personal demons. It seems to be a nice, easy way mm. of acknowledging that they've had a hard life. And that there is a continual struggle. Yeah, and that they continue to, yeah, to... to, to to struggle to cope with it. And they're fighting demons as well. So if they don't win, like, hey, it's not a fault on theirs because those d- demems are fighting. It's yeah. got to be hard. But also, it's their thing to battle. There's nothing we can do to help. So and that's all on them. The thing about it as well that particularly always strikes me is that I do believe when the phrase started being using in wrestling, like earnestly to talk about very troubled people, like, you know, people like Roddy Piper or Jake Roberts or, or whoever, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage, you could throw in there as well. You know, you, you could throw in a whole lot of men and women into the personal demons broad category and the thing i don't like about it is that while it seems to be a personal thing in terms of making you empathize and try and humanize what they're going through as opposed to saying drug addict or like abused or abuser whatever it is instead it seems to kind of be like you're born with these, you can't stop them, it's just something that people have. Yeah, it's just like, oh oh yeah, we we all know Jake, he's got those demons. And are there people who are born with demons, as in, have you got a predilection for alcoholism, for mental illness, or certain skills or lack thereof that would make you difficult in certain social situations? I think, yeah, obviously there are cases. I think if you're, you're, your family, if you've come from a line of alcoholics or something like that, you know, that's obviously going to impact on you. There's there's many reasons for that. But the idea of this personal demons, it just seems like it's quite impersonal in some sense, where it's like, they've got demons, so you kind of go, ah, uh, probably what, pills, drugs, drink, shit like that. Yeah. Beats his wife, yeah. Yeah, probably. Also- Beaten as a child, really. Yeah, probably. It just kind of feels like a bit of a catch-all for wrestling's ill-fitting pieces. And the thing is, if you've got demons in wrestling... Probably a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Mm, definitely. Know? And the fact that people will happily paint most wrestlers as having personal demons. Like, I'm pretty sure I've heard of people describe Chris Benoit as having personal demons. I mean, I'd closer describe him as a demon than I would say yeah. he has personal demons. Like, how helpful is it to do either of those things? I would say not very. I would also argue they're not personal. I mean, okay, yes, they were... They definitely affected him personally, but they also affected lots of other people around him. So they weren't personal demons. Personal demons is a really handy phrase as well to make sure that the publicly owned company or people who are in charge of you and responsible for you can't really do anything about it because it's personal demons. Or if they do reach out and help someone with personal demons, wow, that's really helpful because we're helping you with your personal demons. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily demons have been caused by the company no. or the, 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 the industry the company is, is based in. No. I just figured these were things important to say at the get-go because we are obviously in unprecedented times as it relates to wrestlers, where they are in terms of exposure online and stuff like that. Because we're, we're going to look at some documentaries. We, we had watched, obviously, Beyond the Mat again. We had also had watched previously The Resurrection of Jake Roberts with DDP. I didn't want this whole episode to be just about his turnaround and how he you know he, he turned his life around i wanted this to be about his wrestling career so we did go and look at pick your poison which was a kind of wrestling career focused dvd that wwe did in 2005 now the documentary that we selected is, is interesting in a number of ways firstly it's just nice to actually hear jake and his colleagues talk about like the highs as well as the lows of his wrestling career and actually talk about the matches and the storylines and the promos and his process as opposed to just you know, he's someone who fucked up and needs to get better. It was nice to hear that. That being said, 
Going back in time to 2005 WWE documentary making is always a wild time, including the very ham-fisted title, Pick Your Poison, which has got graphics of a big snake going and nudging a glass of vodka every time someone new appears to talk. I didn't realise it was supposed to be vodka because it's in a pint glass. It looks like a fucking pint of water. For fuck's sake. It's like, hmm, refreshing water, good for snakes. Yeah, and they're no. probably saying to Jake, look, it's, it's water, we're saying that you're teetotaling. Mm. Put a pint of vodka on there. That's probably what he'd probably have a pint of vodka, wouldn't he? It is both respectful in some respects in that they give him time to speak about things he clearly wants to talk about like Mm. he gets to address beyond the mat and his childhood and all that but i would say this is a documentary where i don't know if i give you a full-throated go check it out because there's a lot of punching down to jake roberts in this one i feel like that's gonna be a common theme in this episode to be honest and that's like that was the main thing i found shocking about everything we watched was just and i'm never i'm never one to be like give him fucking respect but like he does deserve respect and like oh my god the number of times in this documentary and beyond the mat and other things we watched where wrestlers who could only fucking dream of being one third as good as jake were like he's an alcoholic he's got drug issues yeah he he was he could have been amazing but he just was his own worst enemy it is odd the amount of people who are in the documentary who are from that time period Mean Gene, Hogan, you know, Jerry Lawler, like people who would have been big stars in the 80s. And it sounds like they're hearing about it for the first time in some respects. Fucking washing their hands of it. That's what they're doing because they're all all fucking culpable. They all knew. They all knew exactly what he was going through. And it's not just him. It was lots of other wrestlers from the same time as well. And the thing is, they, they were turning a blind eye. They didn't care because that meant that there was less competition for them. Yeah. And I think the party lifestyle is fine to talk about in a nebulous, large scale. Like how Brett talked about it, because it didn't really affect him mm-hmm. personally, because he went out and he did his own his own Tomcat ways, let's just say. But to talk about it is kind of like, yeah, there was a lot of partying stuff going on. Like, you know, Jake, I'm pretty sure he, he partook. I'm like, he partook. Like, they've made graphics of his gimmick nudging alcohol. Yeah. Obviously, he's partook. There are two voices that are quite empathetic, and I'm really glad they're in the documentary. And two voices I didn't think I'd be relying on. One is Road Warrior Animal, whose mm. tie partner Hawk from the Legion of Doom, similarly like Jake, was someone who was viewed as being like kind of a savant in the ring in terms of really understood the, the psychology and all that, but was plagued by a lot of personal problems. And the other person is Hugo Senovich, who is former Puerto Rican, you know, he worked in the Puerto Rican territories with Jake, but he was a Spanish announce commentator mm. for WWE for many, many years. I had known that he had struggled with mental health problems, but he was talking about like, yeah, me and Jake, like we were on a you know crack binge or a cocaine binge. Yeah. Like, he speaks so frankly and honestly mm-hmm. about being like in the gutter, essentially. Yeah. And not many people working for WWE picking up a check and be like, yeah, I'll talk about that, you know. And he's very open, and I'm glad there's at least some people in the documentary who have that honesty. It very much is the type of industry that rewards vague apologies without any kind of acknowledgement of what you actually did. Yeah. I mean, Hogan kind of going, you know, Jake was really good and he could have been like a, a top star, but he was like, he was a top star. So, you know, his problems, you know, they happened, but he was still one of the main names of the 80s, brother. You know, no Hulk Hogan, obviously. And then you got like Hugo Senovich where he's like, yeah, there was a point where me and Jake were in Puerto Rico and I was like on my hands and knees crying saying, please stop taking drugs, like we're going to die. Like, And that's 
showing you the two speeds we're dealing with here with the documentary. So I wouldn't say documentary. This is the most like absolute emblematic of Jake's career and all that. It is fascinating to look at how mm. he was viewed, I think. And there is, they do a good job at least of taking you through his career in ring for the most part. Yeah, and I think, I think he does come across quite sympathetically in this documentary as well. I would say it says a lot about Jake Roberts that this begins as a DVD, not with a Jake Roberts grew up in Stomart or Jake loved being a high school football athlete. No, instead we start with a cold open as we get a poem from Jake the Snake Roberts. Amazing. Thieves of dreams. What do they steal? Why do they steal? Haven't they their own? Where? Everywhere some child or innocent one has left them unprotected. Not of ignorance or shallow thinking. They aren't hidden due to love, hope and a sincere belief in all men. There would be no need to bury them in cold, dark holes. Where no life could possibly spring from. Their loved thoughts wouldn't ever feel a need to lock them away either. What does a thief gain? Unfortunately, even the most ignorant, vile and irresponsible idiot can gain from dreamers. How? By aligning or shadowing those innocent, childlike, free and naive that have proved to be gifted in any area, stealth-like and patiently they wait for an idea or gift they have no right to claim consuming and copying whatever has been offered up by those still free enough inside to dream? When? Every moment? Every second? Day in and day out? Throughout mankind it will never end, for those selected few who have been chosen or bestowed the honour. It is a fantastic and horrid breath that utters hope. That this love should be shared, not raped or stolen, my wish is not to punish the thieves, but simply be given a chance to dream, or not. When I die, I feel it won't be from another's sword, but by the unstoppable heartbeat of dreams. My own? Longfellow couldn't have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like that this was a different kind of a choice here to start off a documentary with. He's very clearly talking about Vince McMahon ruining his life, it seems, in many respects there. Is he interesting? Okay, because I, I thought it seemed to be about wrestling as a whole right. and the way that wrestling takes ideas from these really innocent cool free thinking people and then just like churns it out mm. into like a product into a product exactly yeah yeah I, it's it's beautiful stuff and i mean like something that's never went with jake it seems at any point is like the ability to just i mean it is poetry and to say that the promos that he does and the promos is what he's known for i mean that's what the kind of the, the documentary starts with talking about his his mind his psychology and of course, the verbiage in the promos and how that comes through with like the way he looks and the ring, the way he walks and he carries himself and all that. It's like the only time I feel comfortable comparing wrestling to poetry is when discussing Jake Roberts because there's like a deliberateness to what he says almost. Yeah. Like how is he? His promos are great, we can say for sure, right? Mm, definitely. How are they different from, say, a Ric Flair or a Macho Man who you've also really enjoyed? Jake's promos are unique in that he talks very slowly and very deliberately and softly. 
he doesn't shout or scream or raise his voice in the way that like a lot of wrestlers from his era yeah which is fun sometimes don't get me wrong yeah and and considering <laughs> i think a lot of those wrestlers the reason they were like that is because they're on like loads of coke yeah and jake the snake would have been on loads of coke so it's surprising that he doesn't seem like if you were to show me before i watched any wrestling Macho Man Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Jake the Snake Roberts mm-hmm. all talking to camera. And you had to go, right, one of these people was regularly taking like heroin, crack, meth. Who's the coke. heavy drug user? Yeah. Yeah. I, the last person I'd have picked would have been Jake the Snake Roberts because he just seems so in control of himself. It is a kind of scary part that Vince does mention at one point. And Vince is pretty pretty upfront in, in doing this documentary it's odd in 2005 it's like they're testing the waters of like can we do documentaries about people we're not on great terms with mm. and a big thing that vince says when he's kind of like you know he's not really putting jake over too much other than saying you know he's an excellent performer in terms of promos but he's like i couldn't tell if jake was was under the influence he would show up to, to events and i'd be told afterwards jake roberts you know had, had drunk x amount or he had taken something and quite frankly, I couldn't tell. And he said, that's what worried me the most is that, you know, I'd had wrestlers show up before inebriated, but I at least knew. Yeah. And like Jake looked like if Jake had, had been on a bender for three days or if he had been sober for three weeks and he would go through these periods, he couldn't tell the difference. Mm. Now there's a performer fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, the thing that makes me think of immediately isn't necessarily that he's like performing while under the influence. It makes me think that he's probably spent most of his life not sober. Like that's his normal. I was going to like say it's almost like we saw a bit with Piper that wrestling was somewhere where the things that he had to do in his childhood were actually like, that's really good. You can do that. And Jake Roberts being able to perform or put on a, a certain demeanor or remain calm or to be very, very kind of um, cerebral. It's, I think a lot of it has come from his childhood and his upbringing. Mm. You know, it's not something that he came interested in going, oh, gee whiz, what's this? And all of a sudden he became this mastermind. Mm. His childhood and his upbringing and massive kind of warning here, folks, we're about to talk about easily the heaviest shit we've ever talked about on this podcast. Yeah. You had heard about it on Beyond the Met before. Mm-hmm. But it obviously is always troubling to hear in any sort of detail. Yeah. He says it so quickly and beyond the mass. Mm. It's just kind of like, oh, by the way, all this horrible shit happened. Yeah. Sister, stepdad, you know, mom, dad, all this fucking horrible stuff. Mm. It's so quick and it happens in the space of about 60 seconds. Yeah. That you could literally, you know, your your brain just wanders off for a second and you've actually missed, like, he's skipped over his whole mm. traumatic life story. So this is like one of the few times in a wrestling documentary where I'm like, I am very interested in your childhood. Please take time to explain because... I always kind of, with this documentary, I was always very grateful that at least we have something on the record from him in, in where he was in 2005, at least. And, you know, he wasn't clean and sober, but at least we had him in a place where he felt, I'm here and I want to talk about this. Because he maintains beyond the mat that he was under false pretenses. Mm. So it's nice to hear him able be able to talk about his trauma under his terms, I guess. But fucking hell, it doesn't get much more traumatic than this. His father is Grizzly Smith, who would have been kind of a long-term journeyman wrestler, never a big star, territorial guy, based around the Georgia areas, did some stuff with the NWA. His mother 
is the daughter of his dad's wife. She was 12 years old when Grizzly Smith raped his daughter and Jake Roberts, to quote Grizzly Smith, was loved and was born of love. And it's just like, even by wrestling, crooked, carny, whatever you want to call it, we've been talking about Moolah and we've talked about all the evils of wrestling recently. Mm. And that seems to be an evil and a callousness and a sociopathic nature that transcends wrestling. Who the fuck is Grizzly Smith? This man is like, there's your fucking demon right there, Jesus Christ. Yep, yep. He's uh, pretty much pure evil. And the thing that shocked me about Beyond the Mat, which I didn't realise the first time we watched it, is that he's in it. Mm? He's there when Jake is talking about they this. They do chores or whatever. They're just like yeah. cleaning up the yard together and... They don't speak like for an hour. It's, and it's just so... Yeah, it's, it's... it's You just really, <laughs> really feel for it. I'm fucking out. Like, the fact that they're still together and Jake's like talking about this man who, you know, he did, he raped his mum as a child. And then he's he's still got this relationship with... It's just, it's just so complicated and strange and scary and like my first thought was like why on earth are you still Mm. with him like why do you talk to him but then of course it's like it's a really complicated situation you cannot understand it unless you've been there yourself you know jake talks about how that being kind of the core trauma of his the kind of the original trauma i mean it's a trauma like he was born into essentially you know saying nothing of the trauma of, of his actual mother but, you know, he said later on in years when he has kids of his own and he's sitting thinking, am I going to do this? Mm. You know, is this going to happen to me? And I'll say it's it's a very fucking open thing to be able to talk about, like, paranoia and fears and anxieties that he had like that. And again, like, I don't think any of us can really comment on 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 it too much because how would you even begin to know and empathize with that? I mean, I feel obviously incredibly sorry for him, but I can't even imagine what it would be like to be like, uh-oh, I'm worried about having kids because of what my dad did to my mom, you know? It's 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 trauma and it's 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 a horror that's beyond anything we've ever discussed here before. I can't, I can't even imagine. And it's not just the fact that like it's what his dad did to his mom and it's the fact that, you know, Jake was raised in that family. But it's also it's it's even more complicated than that again because you're not, you don't find these things out, do you, as a child? No, you never, how do no you one, find No out? one tells you that, just like, just tells you that outright. Like, piece by piece, yeah, you stick it together you over kind the years. Of work it out. And Jake had a very complicated relationship with his dad. And, you know, that's very normal in wrestling for, you know, if, if, if a family member is a wrestler, they tend to not be home as much. You know, we see this to this day with wrestlers with kids and they just don't see their kids as much as they'd like to and the kids feel like they never get to see their, dad, their parents. And I mean, like, Jake doesn't know if the fact that he never saw his dad, it was it because his dad was ashamed of him and, the you know, there were, he had brothers and sisters. He didn't understand if he was ashamed of them or... But he seems to kind of conclude that his dad simply did not want a life with them. Like, he wanted to do other things yeah. because... Pretty much immediately, they're shipped off and they're split up. You know, Jake goes to live with the grandparents. The grandfather is a violent alcoholic. And I mean, you know, we've had plenty of alcoholics we've talked about here before. Alcoholism is an issue that is ingrained in wrestling and and the trauma that of wrestlers of, of for many reasons. Also, he when he was split up from his family, 
So first of all, his brothers and sisters were taken elsewhere. Yeah. So he was separated from, you know, the only people really who he had as a support system for him, given You're... that he's not got a traditional, you know, mother and father. You know, his mom would have been so young. Like you don't do that unless you want to initially like break the bonds of the family. Yeah. Like, you know, make seems... them less strong. Yeah, it seems quite intentional. But also the fact that Jake is then... Like, I don't know what the situation was with Jake's brothers and sisters. Like, if if he if Jake's mum and dad are the same parents as his brothers and sisters or if they're half mm. siblings or what it's not been made very clear but, I, but I, I'm thinking there are multiple partners I would yeah assume. but it's just very strange about the fact that Jake is then shipped off to live with his dad's parents mm. because like it would be one thing obviously to get shipped off with your grandparents that's hard enough but it's the fact that like it's your dad who you only see once or twice a year you may or may not now realize that your dad was sexually violent to your mom as a child, mm. that he is a predator. And now you have to live with his parents who, I mean, I can only imagine were very defensive of any of his actions and probably denied any accusations about him. And he says that his mom, you know, she went off and she married and stuff. And, you know, they, they later on, they do get to live together. But he does kind of say about like how his, his mother wasn't kind of, I don't mean in the kind of the traditional sense, but he felt the mother was kind of unfit in many respects in that she didn't have a childhood. Yeah. She she literally didn't get to grow up and she yeah. found it quite difficult to actually express love and have a typical loving relationship with Jake, as you might fucking expect. Yeah. The grandfather, like the alcoholism, the the level of it, and it's not just like, oh, this guy enjoys a few drinks type of a thing. It's like telling the story of how they lived in a dry county. And his granddad didn't trust the doctors to give him pills to take this anti-alcohol medication. It's a medication you take if you're a chronic alcoholic that if you drink any alcohol, it'll make you get violently sick. So he would go to the doctors to get an injection because he didn't trust getting pills from doctors, injection of this anti-alcohol poison. And then he'd drive across county lines. He'd get a bottle of Jack Daniels. He'd drink it all. He'd drive back, puke the whole way, and then pass out in the couch for four days. And he'd do that pretty much like on a cycle every two weeks. And... You think of this, I think Jake was about 12 at this point. Like, it's a proper... Poor as well, despite yeah. Grizzly being on TV and all that jazz. Yeah. So you've got this situation of, you know, Jake, he's got this semi-famous dad. He's living in poverty. The only carers he has are, you know, one of them's a severe, violent alcoholic. Mm. And you'd think, you know, maybe he could have some friends at least. But no, if you've got a violent alcoholic who's splayed out being sick on the floor, you're not going to bring people home, are you? No. It's, he had a loner mentality as a result. Yeah. He, he, he went his whole career as a loner. And I think imagine, I, I can only imagine as well that, you know, when, you're, when your dad has moved around, you only see him once a year, when your mum has gotten remarried and when she's like, you know, she's trying to grow up at the same time as you, when your siblings are taken away from you. Mm. I do think that does kind of train you in a way not to make bonds with oh, people. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just like, well, I don't want to lose another person. In the resurrection of Jake Roberts, you know, with DDP, who's there with the biggest fucking olive branch in the world. It's like, it, the close thing I think of is like when my man would try to pay for a dinner and my granny would be like, get that money away. Like, he refuses. He just does not know. No help. And, and DDP is like, I'm uniquely qualified. You helped me twice in my career massively. I want to repay the debt. And he's still like, no, no, no. Like, he needs so much convincing. And it's just because... Yeah, you know, the guard shields are up the entire time because you've grown up kind of fighting figuratively and literally your entire time. Random tangent, but I had to mention this because it's just so fucking cute. And I think it says a lot about how it's easy to see these types of people, especially wrestlers, especially male wrestlers with like 
personal demons mm. and see them and go, wow, look at those tough, tough men who are so the peak of masculinity. <laughs> and it's the fact that Jake, when he was a child, he wanted a little white pony. Yeah. That's so sweet. And can I just say as well, Jake was such a pretty little boy. Yeah. I want to go back in time and just hog that little boy. He's just Aww. so poor thing. He looks... Oh my god! I just feel so it's such such a little. It, it, it's a it's an unimaginably tough upbringing. Yeah, and then sadly, you know, the icing on the shit cake. Jake's grandma, so his dad's mum, died of cancer really mm. suddenly. Like she literally got diagnosed and died within a week. Yeah, and yeah, it's the last person then in his life, and she's gone all of a sudden. And then Jake's dad comes home for two weeks. And according to Jake, this is like the most amount of time they like ever spent together. And so they decide to kind of to live together and such like that. Yeah. They they just spend like a couple of weeks together while Jake's dad like plans, helps plan the funeral. Because obviously Jake's dad's dad was obviously a total mess and yeah, alcoholic. Yeah. wasn't dealing with anything. And Jake says he, how he, you know, he got to spend time with his dad for the first time ever, really. And they got to go, like, fishing and stuff. And More kind of alarm bells is that his new stepmom is incredibly young. Way, yeah. way, way young. In terms of, like, the abuse that he receives from the stepmom, it seems to be, like, that fucking awful stuff where it's like, nice, dude. Like, it's like the fucking stepmom, like, he's, like, asking him to, like you know, rub her shoulders or like, you know, wash, go her, in the bath, wash yeah. her in the bath and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like, this guy's already really fucking traumatized. And now he's like, you know, becoming a young man and this is happening as well. And he said like, <sighs> the worst thing about it was that he found it. I mean, you would, cause he's like, what, 13 now. And she's young. She's probably only like a couple of years older than him. If yeah. that, and he said, you know, the worst thing about it was he was so confused all the time. He, that, know yeah, he was this little teenage boy getting to wash this, you know, woman who's naked and like he was probably a bit, you know, conflicted because he probably felt a bit turned on and also a bit kind of ashamed about that and guilty. But also... again, Grizzly Smith finds like new fucking ways yeah, to like to spectacularly traumatize his children. He then moves in with his mother and stepdad, and this is like another just you can kind of convince yourself at some points where it's like it, that Grizzly Smith family just bad apples, bad seed. You know, it's 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 tragic. It's sad. And then there's stuff like this that happens that makes you kind of think, there's like, I don't believe in curses, Mm. but like, there's, you know, everyone has a life tax, as Cole Cabana says. And then there's just this, where it's just like, what the fuck? The mom and stepdad, he lives there with his sisters for a bit. Mm. They have a nice relationship. You know, he mentioned the mom finds it difficult, but the stepdad is really, really great at bringing the family together. Jake feels close with them. Sister feels close with them. Stepdad goes up into the attic one Thanksgiving just to change a light bulb. Electric shock. Dead. Stone cold dead. Just out of nowhere. And again, Jake says that he was like, he was like the only other person he ever got on with. So like, like everyone he bonds with just seems to die. Uh, His sister, she is kind of caught up with uh, an older gentleman and they're like, this is a bad idea. She gets pregnant. (sighs) Happens again. And Jake (sighs) makes some shocking admissions here. It's the fact that you don't realise how old she is until he finishes the story. Mm. He says, my sister came moving in with us and she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And, you know, she she was with the wrong type of men. There was me thinking she was probably 17, maybe, mm. maybe a bit older. She's 11. Younger than Jake's mother was. Yeah. So she gets pregnant. Um, Jake, you know, complicated, traumatised child. He's not had 
proper he's not had anyone to care for him love him look after him teach him how to deal with his emotions and issues and he's just he's had no support and he beats the shit out of her he says himself he beat her half to death you know his pregnant 11 year old sister can you imagine the guilt you'd carry around i mean in terms of an explanation yeah i mean that there is an explanation from his words of why it happened. There is no, there is no forgiving no. that. And but he doesn't ask for forgiveness. No, he, he's no very. Up, he says, "I was eighteen years old and I hated women." Like he he says, "I hated women because I hated my sister, I hated my stepmom, I hated, I hated my, my grandma, I hated my mom." It's just like, and he said he found it hard to love. And like the sad thing about that sister is that you know from beyond the mat, this is a story that they tell as well, is that she starts going out when she's eighteen years old with a fifty-three year old man, and the ex-wife of the man shows up with some guy she's hired, and they kidnap her. They never find the body. They find enough blood in the car so that they know it's her blood and that she's lost so much blood she can't be alive. Person goes to jail for like kidnapping charge or whatever it is. And then, you know, years later, the family beg and plead, please tell us where, where's the body? Do you just want to bury her, her remains? They said, nah, we're not telling you shit. So again, it's like, how would you even begin to process that on a normal day? Yeah. Yet alone what you've been through and yet alone what you yourself, Jake Roberts, had done to your sister. There is no, he will never forgive himself, no. nor will he ever be able to, nor, nor should he, to be honest. It's, it's. Very, very dark. What I find most refreshing about Jake and most humanizing is that he doesn't, he makes it very clear that he doesn't want forgiveness. He doesn't forgive himself. He doesn't want anyone else to forgive him. He feels he doesn't deserve it. And you know what? I feel that's perfectly within your right. If you want to decide you don't want forgiveness, then that's your own way of dealing with At things. At what point do we say to someone, okay, you're not seeking forgiveness? At what point then is it the narrative that WWE and a lot of folks used about Jake is, he feels sorry for himself. I don't think he does at like, all. It's just, if you don't want forgiveness and you don't want to actually make amends, you're just wallowing and you're just like being a wrestler, mm-hmm. cutting promos, making us feel sorry for you. No, he's he's acknowledging what he's done. He's raising awareness. It's the fact that he says himself that he hated women. How many men who we know hate women would ever be so brave as to actually admit it? Well, think of fucking Jerry Lawler, how much he hates women. We've got a lot of episodes about, about wrestlers who could generously be described as hating women yeah. let's just say and then none of them would admit to it and it's the fact that he's able to admit that he or no, none of them would even actually know it that they hate women no probably honest. not they probably go no I, I love women I love their boobies <laughs> it's the fact that he's able to acknowledge that he he hated women that he was violent towards women and that it's 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 yeah it's beyond it's beyond forgiveness and it's something he will always carry with him yeah I think now that's why with Jake it is always worth kind of you know celebrate achievements and progress but he'll be the first one to tell you don't assume me forgiven and redeemed and all that because i don't think he i don't think he's searching for that no you know i don't think he can get that i think if he was searching for that he'd probably go fucking insane because i think it's almost impossible for him to to make amends for some of these things it's like in the same way that it's in almost impossible for the people who inferred traumas upon him to make up for it. What is very, very apparent, and this is just as like Jake is like talking about now I'm getting into wrestling, is 18 years old, he's a dad, and, you know, he's like, well, I ain't gonna let this happen 
this way it happened before. I'm going to marry her and I'm going to do right by her. And he doesn't realize, it's like we're watching a BoJack Horseman, you see the same thing. You, you don't realize where you're like, I'm not going to be like that fucker. I'm not going to be like my mom or be like my dad. And then you go and you do things that are literally perpetrating this cycle. But just to be clear, he didn't rape anyone. No, 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 no. Sorry, and of course. He starts this with, with good intentions, obviously. And it's his high school sweetheart, isn't it? It's yeah. like, it's, it's, they're the same age, I think. But it's like, you know, Jake Roberts... High school sweetheart, 18 years old, I'm getting married and I've got a young kid. And then at the same time, it's like, and this wrestling thing, it's like, like, you know, he, he feels so impassioned that he's not going to be his dad, yeah. that he's going to be able to get into this wrestling business, you know? And how he actually got in is pretty standard fare for someone who had a, a connection. Unlike a lot of people who've done episodes on, you know, Jake obviously had a family connection but it's not necessarily what you would think. You know, Jake Roberts wasn't the case of like, hey, dad, what are the matches this weekend? I mean, were you shocked? We heard this a bit in Brett's episode about him being worked by his dad. Yeah. So this Ooh. is something I was kind of aware of in Legend over the years of watching wrestling is that Jake the Snake, I think we mentioned it in a couple of previous episodes about wrestlers who got into wrestling and didn't realize that it was real or whatever. Mm. Roddy Piper, first match. Yeah, Ric Flair. Ric Flair kind of didn't know either first match. Yeah, it's a common thing. But it was the fact that his dad was a wrestler and also kept up kayfabe, mm. but then also did it to the extreme of like it would be like if Mick Foley had kept up kayfabe with his kids like imagine it's when it comes to like actual injuries yeah they told the story about Harley Race who like did an angle in in Georgia where he, like, he did the knee onto onto his neck and then he was home for for a month with the neck brace on going like with tears in his eyes going like I have to fight that man and J- young Jake's like no daddy don't fight him like you know what the fuck and Jake said he like genuinely feared for his dad's life like he would have like nightmares about like his dad being like their house being broken to his dad being like murdered by Harley Race or whatever and like you had mentioned to me kind of like oh this is kind of like what you know Stu had done this as well and we we talked about it a bit kind of just the other day and it's like. Well, it's different with Stu and whether or not Stu himself knew or not Stu Hart when he was, you know, promoting Stampede and he was wearing the neck brace or whatever and selling it for the, you know, Brett and Owen or whatever. At least Smith and Ellie and some of the other kids, they knew. And whether or not they did it fairly or like a teasing brother or sister, they weren't going to let their siblings sit there and get completely worked 100%. They kind of they broke in the younger siblings into the business into what happened in that respect. Yeah, definitely. I think I think they're very, the two very, very, very different situations as well. Mm. Because yes, okay, Stu Hart may have been like pro kayfabe, but the very nature of the Hart family dungeon is it's all about submissions mm. and grapple holds and like actual technical skills involved in wrestling. So it's not much of a work, really, I guess, no, all the time. Yeah. Because like Stu Hart really is putting these people in intense amounts of pain. And Brett, when he would have been training with his dad and his siblings, he knows, oh yeah, this is really hurting. Yeah. That's, it's it's as real in that respect. Whereas Jake, his dad is more of a storyline kayfaber. It's the fact that he comes... <sighs> He, he continues the storyline at home when there's no one else there other yeah, than his say, kid. No wonder you're so fucked up. Like, yeah. you know, take an off day from playing tough guy wrestler. Be a human being. Be a fucking dad to your kids. Be a husband to your wife, you know? It's it's so weird. And what actually struck me most, I'd seen this documentary before. I'd heard Jake tell the story in countless shoot interviews about you know him going to referee, then him doing some jobbing in like Florida and Mid-South. His dad turned to him and saying after his like first match or his first refereeing job saying, you're your embarrassment. You'll never amount to anything. I'm so full of shame right now. You've broken my heart. You will never be anything in this business. And then Jake is like, 
I, I took that moment where I said, I'm going to take this business and I'm going to shove it up your goddamn rear end. And I'm like, all right, Jake, a career that has begun out of spite. That's like, that's a first, I think. But like, even here in 2005, he's like 50 here. He's still talking. And like, his dad does it over and over again. It's like, he goes, he becomes a big star and like, you know, in, in Mid-South or whatever. And he goes to the WWF and his dad's like, you're, you, you've th- you're a cartoon character and you've thrown it all away. He goes, he has big matches at WrestleMania, like can't believe you're my son you fucking you've destroyed the legacy of, of of our family name and you're no son of mine you know he went off he went to college he tried to do all these things he tries to get a job he he left wrestling you know for a period of time he's like, right i'll go I'll leave wrestling i'll get a job i'll be a dad you're your biggest piece of shit ever i'm so ashamed of you like his dad was just bullying him to be a wrestler and like Jake became spite's a hell of a motivator let me yeah. tell you and yeah. i've been motivated by spite in my time and i'm not proud of that but after a while, you need to be motivated by the joy of it. And I feel that Jake's career was kind of poisoned the well a little bit from the get-go by, by his dad, egging him on in the worst way possible. Yeah, after Jake's first match, his dad literally says that he's Jake's rubbish, chops him, and says, what? says you're gutless and you'll never amount to anything. Can you fucking believe that? Like, just saying that to your child, even if your child is, like, the biggest piece of shit, useless, nothing ever, why would you say that to anyone? That's so fucking cruel. You hear about all the nepotism in wrestling. Yeah. Like, there ain't no fucking nepotism here, folks. But also, like, I'm not saying that, like, any child deserves to hear that, but, like, you see young Jake with all that fucking... Oh, he's not had enough trauma. Let's give him a bit fucking more. Like, but like, you know? he's got this Jesus. spark in his eyes. Yeah. He looks, he doesn't look unhappy. He looks like he's full of hope and dreams. And just like, how can you look your child in the eye and say, you'll never amount to anything? Least of all, when their child has so much skill and ability. Like every parent is going to see the world in their child in terms of skill and ability. And but like, what? Jake Roberts is such a fucking star. That's what makes me think that... Like, that's why he did it. Intimidation, like, like almost. I think. think he was very jealous. And I think you get that with a lot of parents, especially dads, especially hyper-masculine dads whose children or sons end up being kind of more masculine than them. Or bigger stars. Or bigger stars, but exactly. Like, you know, Randy Orton's dad was like Roddy Piper's henchman. He was Cowboy Bob Orton. And he had a great old career. He was never a top guy, never even a middle to top guy remotely. And his son became one of the biggest stars of the last 15 years. And like, it just, you know, in case you just think at home, like, oh, it's a thing though. If you're a wrestler and you have the wrestler ego, seeing your kid go and excel and do better than you, it, it's going to fuck you up or whatever. Or you can't blame him. I think you can. There's plenty of instances of wrestlers whose children have outshone them. Yeah. You know, The Rock, for instance. The Rock's, fuck. you know, there's so many cases of it. You can do it. Grizzly Smith is not acting remotely normal here. You know, it's it's no. wrong. No, he's he's a total piece of shit. He, he's just so jealous of Jake. I just think he just doesn't want him to succeed because deep down he knows that... I think there's this fear of in him, and I'm being so armchair psychologist him here, but I think there's this fear in him that, like, Jake shouldn't be good because he is the worst part of himself. Because he, Jake says he feels like... The reason his dad treated him this way is because every time he saw him, he saw the shame of what he had done. Yeah. And even if you are the most fucking, you know, enabled, prolific child rapist, I don't think anyone, even the biggest fucking demon in the world, can look at themselves in the mirror and kind of go, I raped my wife's daughter. And, I, and and now I have a son who I'm abusing as well. Yeah. Like, and then that, s- that reminds me of the worst, yeah. Yeah, and then also to see your son 
grow up into this very talented charming person mm. who you know we see grizzly adams in a couple of these documentaries he doesn't have any charisma Hello. he's fucking got the charisma of a slug or yeah. a piece of shit he's just such a slime bag he's boring he's, he's a type of wcw kind of uh booker guy who'd be there saying don't jump off the top rope yeah. no no roll into the outside you know mm-hmm. that fucking that ole anderson old timey fucking let's rip up the fun ideas for us and just misery yeah fucking misery and Misery loves company, I guess. And I think to be one thing to be like egging on or kind of bullying your, your son to try and get him, you can say, oh, he's you trying to motivate him. Well, what motivation is it for Grizzly Smith to basically cajole his son into wrestling with a broken arm? And like he literally, Jake is, again, when he gets an injury early on, he's getting a bit of momentum. He's trying to heal up from the arm and he's like, go out there, fucking wrestle. What are you, a pussy? Jake goes out and wrestles literally within one minute. Oh, a broken arm. He's out for four months now and said, you know, it's, how the fuck? It's absolutely insane. I think it's just literally his dad just wants to feel superior. Yeah. I think every time he can get Jake to fuck up, he can convince himself that that Jake's like a, a useless person or he's not yeah. good enough or you know just it's this weird spiteful oh yeah I feel better about myself because you're doing yeah. badly. Like it's... when you wake up in the morning and have a look in the mirror and kind of go hmm how's the battle with the inner poison inside of me? Is it all consuming? Well are the only joys you're getting in life and the failures of your loved ones probably a chance that the symbiote has taken hold. Better bring down my son a little bit. Yeah right and you know what even in all this even before Jake Roberts even has a snake has a name has national exposure he couldn't stop his innovation because one of the earliest things that he did was innovate one of the most widespread used popular maneuvers of all time. And it's odd to think about it because of what it is now. It's like something that has so many variants. But back in the day, it was the finisher, the killer holes known as the DDT. Did you know about Jake Roberts and this move, Joe? No, not really. Are you... I mean, you and moves are an interesting one. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tentatively ask you, were you impressed? <laughs> By what? By him creating a cool move that everyone uses now. I mean, it's half the roster's got a finisher that's some variant of a DDT. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The I think I found it impressive in a few different ways. One, obviously, the fact that he, he came up with himself. Okay, so first of all, I should say that it was accidentally created. Or was it? No, it was. <laughs> so there's so many, I was just say there's so much myth around the DDT, what it stood for, you know, where it came from. I mean, I always loved kind of the speculation surrounding it. <laughs> so Jake was going to do some other move. I forget what. But it was a headlock, I think he was right. going for, just like holding a guy like you would, just, you know, regular style. The His opponent stepped on his foot, though, and then they both fell over. And that was kind of like the DDT because it, it looked quite good. They realized it was safe. And it's just impressive to me that it's the only major move I can think of in Western wrestling that wasn't stolen from either Japan <laughs> yeah. or Mexico or, you know, just a- any other country, basically. Or-, or some indie wrestler who, you know, never got their chance to, like, get recognition for creating such an integral move. I mean, on the Kevin Owens episode, the El Generico and Sami Zayn episodes, all three of those, I mean, I know we talked about them being, like, great innovators in terms of manoeuvres, but you're talking about, you know, people who are making... Here's your five-star Golden Lily special edition move. This is like a move that is... I refer to it as... I'm just getting into some botany here. This is a heritage wrestling maneuver in that it is... 
<laughs> it is like if we had wrestling moves kept in a lab for after the apocalypse, which we could make many wrestling moves out of, mm. like much like Heritage Tomatoes, we could do this with the DVT. Right. And we were trying to think like, is there anyone we've done who's innovated a move mm. that has then been itself innovated into so many other different things? And we were like, well, Rick and Brett nicked their finishers. Yeah. DDP repopularized his, but mm-hmm. it was also not original. McFoley repopularized, recontextualized his. Um, I mean, Gail Kim. I don't think she'd done her move. For, I mean, I mean, I couldn't think of anyone honestly. So I think DDT, Jake Roberts. That's one of the. I think you could say if we're going to go forward and say right, Japan, Mexico, all other wrestling parts of the world. Put forward your best innovator. We can say Jake Roberts and the DDT because I don't think we can do better than that. (laughs) It's the fact that it literally wasn't stolen from anyone, but also it's been adapted by so many people Mm. and it's become such a mainstay of wrestling. Like the fact that it's just his finisher here is strange to me because it's like such a normal move now. Did it seem silly that his finisher was the DDT or strange? No, no, because he does it really well. Wow, that's what I was going to ask you next. How how does, is he the master of the DDT in your mind or? I don't think I've seen enough DDTs to know Mm. if he's the master of it. He's very good though. It's the way he's... He's so quick. It's fluid. And yeah. he just like drops you on your head. It looks really gross and scary. And I'm really surprised to hear that you actually can do it really safely. And one of my favorite things about it is how he slaps the back with his yeah. hand first. And it's one one fluid movement. I think other than Raven, I can't think of anyone who does like remotely as good a DDT. Jake is is the master. Someone had tweeted in about this and I wanted to mention it because it, it struck a chord with me. Jake, back in around this time period, 2005, would do raw reviews on MySpace. Yeah! And, I can't believe you're in MySpace. Oh yeah. So I was I was on there uh, repping the Black Lodge on MySpace for my radio show that I had, and I would always make sure I would go and check out Jake's raw reviews, and he would always go out of his way to talk about the DDTs because they were done constantly. And it wasn't just a case that he'd be all crabby, like, "Oh, no one should do the DDT because I do it better than anyone." It was just like, "Here's a DDT that was done, and here's why that DDT was not as effective as you might think it would have been." But Joe, there was one person, one person stood out above all others when they did the DDT. It was magic. And every time it happened, I would write a paragraph in my blog on MySpace about why this DDT was the best in wrestling, past, present, or future. It was Mickey James. Aww. Mickey James did the best DDT, according to, to Jake Roberts, which Amazing. makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> what does it stand for, did you know? Or did you guess? It No, I didn't guess. They say in the documentary, it's some kind of rat poison. I don't think it's... It's, it's some kind of chemical name, but it's condensed to DDT, I think. See, it was used widespread in kind of... In agriculture for like rats and things like that. The and idea for is the pests. it kills immediately. Yes. Quick. It was too dangerous. It was outlawed, I believe, in the late 70s so or thereabouts. Quite nice, then, the idea of like naming... It's especially clever because he's Jake the snake and yes. this is before he has a snake and snakes eat rats. Yeah. So it's like a rat killer. Also, it's implying that your opponents are rats. And it also had been in the news. So like most of the people who are in the audience are like, oh, DDT, that's that dangerous thing that got banned. Like you'd know that much yeah. at least. Like, but I mean, it's it it very much, it resonated with the audience. I always thought because my friend Paddy Hanna told me like when I was watching old WrestleMania tapes with him growing up, he was like, oh, it's Damien's dinner time. Like, you know. <laughs> but, but more on Damien in a little bit. One of my favorite stories about Jake and the naming of the move because there was a little bit of mystery around it you know he would never say oh well you see it's, it's, it's this um 
there's this poison that they used to have. And, uh, you know, he never mentioned it. And one time, I think it was Mean Gene. It was Vince or someone on Tuesday Night Titans were like, what's the DDT stand for, Jake? And he just looks in the camera and goes, the end. Raises an eyebrow. <laughs> I did like it's a story, though, of it being accidental, it being made. It reminds me of the story that my dad used to constantly tell anytime we had roast pork for, for, for Sunday lunch. And he told it so much that my mum stopped making roast pork because they got into arguments about him telling the story so much, which I still to this day think it's the thing my dad finds funniest in the world. He one of his lone trollings. But apparently the first time roast pork was discovered was because pigs were in a barn and the barn got set on fire. And then the, the, the farmer ran across and was like, Wait, what's going on? What's this delicious smell? And then it was like, okay, the barn's burnt down. But this is some pretty nice food. Okay, your dad realises that's not true, right? Well, the main, He realises yeah. that they will have invented cooked meat before barns. Yeah, and also as well, you, you've not had a Sunday lunch until your mother's there with a roast pork going, well, why did they have pigs in their barn then? <laughs> Pets. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the intrigue is always there. So yeah, Lynn Denham, for those of you wondering, was the name of the, the jobber who Jake said was clumsy, stood on his foot and caused wrestling to be changed forever so there you go i also like the fact that because it's accidental how the ddt came about mm. and i feel that does probably i don't know enough about ddt the rat poison but with most types of poisons mm. they are discovered accidentally i would i wouldn't know i need to find a need to get touching my friend who's an actual agricultural biochemist and they will let us know i'm willing to bet it was accidentally discovered. And I'm willing to bet as well that Jake knew that and that's why he called it again. Because he just seems like the type of person that would really put a lot of thought into meaning behind All right, I see. I don't know if I'm giving him way too much credit. Jake travels a little bit further along. And I will say the best thing about Jake traveling early in his career is that we get this big snake moving across America, which is kind of like a cross between Sam and Max Hit the Road and uh, early wrestling documentaries. Enjoyable. He's then in Atlanta working for GCW, which would have been one of the NWA hotbeds with a lot of stuff with like Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair and whatnot. And he starts, you know, expressing interest in doing creative and, you know, writing some of his storylines and booking and whatnot. And he was given some flexibility to do that. He was the TV champion, which meant that kind of like how Cody and AEW has the TNT championship. It's like it's the company, the television company's championship or whatever. And he proposed something wild and crazy that had never been done before when he was feuding with a young man called Ronnie Garvin, whose moniker is Hands of Stone. Great fucking name. <laughs> he decided as the champion that he would lose to his challenger in a non-title match on television to build up interest in a rematch for the belt. And it had never been done before. What? How had it never been done before? How did <laughs> wrestling even work before he that? He was told he would lose his career if he did this. He wouldn't be booked anywhere. No one would want him because he'd have lost to a jobber on TV. That's like the back... Like That is literally to wrestling storytelling as the DDT is to the mid-match kind yeah. of peak or whatever. What the hell? Like... The fact that Jake wasn't even aware of kayfabe being a thing, yeah. and yet he immediately, as soon as he's like in the industry, he's like, well, we could do this, and yeah. we could do that, and why don't we make it a bit more like TV or a, or a drama novel? <laughs> like To this day, the way you can get me like really interested is having like somebody who you think is good, but hasn't really got a chance, or you kind of think, I know the book and they won't win. 
and then they managed to pull off an upset. It's amazing. Yeah. But the WWE's new way in 2020, which is you take someone like that, right? You take like a Ricochet or someone like that, or a Cedric Alexander, and then you put them in with someone like AJ Styles. You think, hang on a second, Logic here says that they will never be AJ Styles. And then they don't be AJ yeah. Styles. And then at home, instead of going, Wah! you nod and you go, it is so. And I like doing that as well. That's mm. a lot more fun than cheering. Yeah, it's good because it means that instead of buying a new t-shirt for the, the cool up-and-coming wrestlers, instead you can just wear your old t-shirt and look at it and go, hmm, yeah, I my, made the right choice. My t-shirt says, I continue to be an AJ yeah. Styles fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, much like many of the territories at the time, Vince McMahon's got his eyes on it. And he decides to buy GCW Lock, Stock and Barrel. But Jake Roberts doesn't come along for the ride. Why, in God's name, would you say no to Vince in the 80s and not be on the first WrestleMania? Apparently Jake tells him to fuck off. <laughs> so funny. Brilliant. You know what? As much as it is good to, to be like, yeah, right, Vince, go and get the big check straight away, it is another thing entirely to say, fuck you, and then show up two years later and get the big check anyway. <laughs> so pretty, like, he didn't get humbled by it. It's just like, all right, yeah, come and would you like to be in WrestleMania 3, please? <laughs> But to be fair, for two years, he earned significantly less than he could have done. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, what basically came to him in the end, deciding to, to go to Vince, was that, you know, he was working in the indies and wherever he was in, at the time, they were like, well, we kind of see you as being like, kind of, you're like the number five good guy. And straight away, he's like, uh-oh, better ring Vince McMahon, because number five good guy in not the WWF is a bad place to be. So instead, he gets to be like number three slash four bad guy. He heads to WWF, and what marketing, if any, could a young Vince McMahon give Jake the Snake Roberts, second generation, he's got a great name, great moniker, greatest hold in wrestling, unbelievable promos. I know what they should do. What's that, Joe? They should have tattooed a snake on his face. <laughs> How about a giant AOR technology? And in the <laughs> 80s, no one knew what he was going on about <laughs> But did you know that Vince was the one who gave Jake his snake? No, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought Jake always had the snake and that's why he was called Jake the Snake Robert. So why was he called Jake the Snake then? I mean, because he was like a snake. But how is he not like a snake? He would slither kind of into the ring and he'd be he on his belly a lot of the time. <laughs> he was very, his movements, you know, you talked about his very kind of considered movements that he would do. He would move kind of very fluidly. Yeah. And also his whole thing on his promos it was always a lot about like sin and original sin and temptation and the evil that men does as epitomized by a like, snake like, like a snake being this kind of like symbol for evil and whatnot so like that was kind of it was symbology for jake and that's why i think jake fit into vince giving him a big gimmick more than a lot of people because unlike ricky the steamboat who was just given a small crocodile and told you're the dragon now this was more of a natural extension of what he was already doing because a man talking about evil in the world and all that and temptation and all whatnot is very good, but when he's got a snake in his hands, it comes across a bit better. What did you think about Damien just as part of the act? What were your thoughts on that? Did you know how big of a part of Jake's act this was? I knew I knew he had a snake because mm. Jake the Snake Roberts, and you always see pictures of Jake with a snake. So, I mean, yeah, I, I knew he had one. I didn't know if it was involved in matches mm. or, like, how it was involved in feuds and storylines. I didn't know that it was called Damien. Yeah. In fact, we watched countless promos. I think like two hours worth. Yeah, of Jake 
talking about Damien and at one point Lucifer. And I was like, when am I going to see these like wrestlers who obviously teamed up with him at one point? Like, who, who is Damien and Lucifer thinking they were just like tag, tag team partners? partners. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh no, that's that is snakes. It was amazing <laughs> though, because I don't think I've ever seen a wrestling promo where you've watched it, you were super engaged by everything he said. And then like a day or two later, you asked me about that. And I said, oh no, Damien's the snake. And you were like, oh, it was like you'd figured out the twist. Yeah. Like when he's talking about like, you know, he's like, you don't have to worry about myself. You just worry about Damien. Or like, and you were like, oh, it's because he's the snake. Oh. There was one moment in particular, which I found very confusing before I realized Damien was a snake, which was that Jake was saying, your mind is mine, but your body is for Damien. That's sexy. Like, oh, that's very sexy. <laughs> I just love the idea that, you know, you have the gimmick of the snake or whatever. And like animals in wrestling, we're going to talk about this in depth in, in a bit, don't worry. But the fact that it made so much sense for this cerebral character, where the whole gimmick was, and you know, you would have people cut promos about it like four or five years later where they're like, you know, the snake wasn't in the bag. You were the snake all along, Jake Roberts. And he's like, of course, like, you know, it was only ever a distraction. Damien means nothing. Like, you think a snake's going to actually bite you and rest? Like, you know, it's, nothing's actually going to happen to you. It was just to get your mind out of it because you're looking over in the corner. One corner of your eye, you think about that bag. And that's what Jake would do. Like, in his matches, half the stuff he would do in his matches, it wasn't like a movie he'd do or like, here's a great sequence. It'd be like, he'd stand up and then he'd cast a glance over at the bag and all of a sudden the crowd are fucking going, ah! to the bag <laughs> i'm convinced at a lot of shows probably some of the ones he did in the uk and ireland in the noise that he probably just came out with a big bag of laundry that had oh, like yeah. a, a dildo in it that was going yeah 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 and it looks like it was moving uh-huh but like it didn't need that's the thing i think is very important about the snake i have very strong opinions about animal welfare in wrestling and i think it's shocking in 2020 hey aew that we're still talking about this but i think the idea of the symbolism of a snake and like a guy has a bag that you think is a snake and there's no snake in there. Don't tell me there's a snake. If Jake Roberts didn't have a snake in his bag in AEW, I'd be happy. You know, just have something there that's writhing around yeah. of some sort. I find, because I'm not scared of snakes. I love snakes. I've lived with snakes. I think they're great. I think snakes are Have you been bitten cool. by a snake? No, I've never been bitten by a snake. Have okay. you been bitten by a snake? I, no, but my friend Isaac's been bitten like nine times by a snake. So I like, know. you know, but he was born a snake handler and he'll <laughs> die a snake handler. <laughs> some snake bites are fine. It depends on the snakes, to be honest. Oh, spoken like a true veteran. I, like, I've I, been bitten I, my housemate had a bunch of snakes and he was always getting bitten by them because when you feed snakes if your hands aren't clean or if they've not eaten for a while they will just bite you because of the warmth they just attack the, the warm blood what i will say is if you speak lightly of being bitten by a snake one more time in this podcast macho man randy savage will bust down this wall hey, and demand we snap into a slim gym that's a cobra very very different type. <laughs> it's I'm, a silly I'm snake talking about like corn snakes okay, okay? All right. nice little pet snakes not damien ain't no corn snake though damien's a big old boa he's, he's a, a boa but massive. boas don't bite no but they can choke they constrict exactly so yeah as i was saying I, i'm not scared of snakes i love snakes a lot but the idea of there being a snake in a bag and you can't see in it that's really scary to me why is that scary if a snake isn't i, I think it's just it's it's like classic horror movie tropes. It's like you what you can't see. An independent actor over there type of thing. It just lets your imagination run mm. wild. Because like 
you know, even though I'm not scared of snakes, I see something writhing in a bag and my brain doesn't go, yeah, but that's just a snake in a bag and you like snakes. My brain goes, oh, what if it's something worse than a snake? What if it's something really scary? A big bag of worms (laughs) or something like that. So I think you're right. I think, you know, although it's very effective to see the snakes, especially people who are scared of them, I think for everyone else, it's very effective to not see them and just see that writhing bag. Now, in terms of him using the snake in like promos and stuff, I know like a lot of the early promos from in the 80s when he first came in, they would do a lot where like, you know, Mean Gene is like, I want to speak with Mr. Roberts over here, but you're a sick man, Roberts. Get that snake out of here. And he's like, what's wrong, Gene? Don't you like the soft slither of a snake in a shower after a match? And it's easy. The snake is a great prop. Oh, it's a great accessory. Yeah. And I say that like with a massive alarm bell kind of going, yeah. I, I still I will say even in spite of all that, if you could convince me that the animal will be well looked after, I think it adds enough yeah. to the presentation that I actually could make an argument for it. And yeah. I, I know I say that as a massive fucking hypocrite. But it's the way he handles the snake. I mean, I'm not saying like he's got a perfect track record. You know, we saw. Oh no, we'll talk about it. Yeah, and and I, you know, and even in the matches that we covered, I, I saw moments where he like fell on a snake, and I was like, that's not good. And you know, it's gonna really you know, snakes are not as strong. You know, they're very strong, but they're also not as strong as everyone thinks they are. They can be hurt just like any other animal. Oh yeah. But it's the way that Jake handles the snakes which i think makes me feel a bit better about it is that he has such confidence and that's what really shocked me then when he, he has says, confidence over skill i will say in terms of his handling though at times yes and the fact that he's able to stand there so calmly while a huge boa constrictor and still do the soft spot because there's no still, promo yeah. where he's like oh men are created equal no. there's, there's nothing like that and he's always so calm i've never had a boa constrictor i've never held one or anything like that but as i said i've had housemates with corn snakes and stuff like they're small and they are so heavy and so scary when they constrict you and they go around jake i mean the iconic shot is jake with it over his yeah. neck and shoulders and it does it genuinely even little ones when they do yeah. that it stops you breathing that's what they're designed to do and if you've never felt a snake's skin it is a very like i would say i don't want to say unpleasant because petting a snake is actually very very nice oh, I, love I love this so soft one of my favorite things too yes. I, I used to i had responsibility for one of the the kind of the the, the odd animals rooms in, in a place where i worked as a researcher and i used to love petting a snake and peaches and i had to pet a snake is always good however that same material when kind of constraining on you is deeply unpleasant it's like being choked with a chain or something and especially because they're so cold and they're not slippery but they are, they feel like plastic in a way. Like it's smooth, yeah. shiny. Feels unorganic. And when it's around your neck, which is like such a personal space. And it feels weird when you touch your neck with anything yeah. cold. But like a big, heavy, cold, shiny, moving, writhing, constricting thing that stops you from breathing. Like the yeah. fact that he's able to do these promos in that position and not have even... an inkling of fear in his eyes he is 100% in character he has all the control he is Jake the Snake Roberts and there's like not many things you can do where I'll be like this will shake him other than like throwing a snake into into the mix with someone who's scared of snakes yeah there had been a proposal for him to do a day in mid-south with Bill Watts but Bill Watts turned to him and said this ain't a circus 
Of course, Bill Watts had also said, it's my restaurant, so if I don't want to serve black people, I don't have to because Lord Jesus Christ is my saviour. Uh. So I won't take everything Bill Watts says with a massive kind of uh, deal of confidence. Mm. It's the WWF in the 80s. It is most certainly a circus. You've got Matilda the dog with the British Bulldogs. You've got the Komodo dragon, inverted commas. Imagine an actual Komodo dragon in wrestling. That would be insane. <laughs> and you got Jake Roberts here. Look, I think i got to talk about it now because I don't think I can go much further and still feel I can have a zoology degree. Mm. Jake would get a snake at the start of every tour that they would be on. So like a house show loop or like, you know, TV for the week, pay-per-view, whatever. And they would have a snake handling or an animal exotics company that they hired out for every place they went to. They had a few kind of short up places for certain parts, you know, the East Coast guy, a West Coast guy, whatever. But Jake would be given the snake and then Jake would be given the food. And it's much like, you know, you've got the money in the bank or the championship belt. You've got Damien. It's your responsibility. So fucked up. Can you imagine that? Like, it's like being given a child or a dog or a fucking... It's it's, it's such a huge responsibility. Yeah. And like, you wouldn't even do that with a small snake, let alone a, what is it, 15-foot boa constrictor, yeah. which has to eat, I think... I can't remember, I'm trying to remember when we had snakes, like how many times a oh, they, day they, they eat a mother eat. like a whole lot, yeah. They eat loads and then they have to sleep loads. And then yeah. and, and it's just it's just so stressful. And they have mm. to be kept in a huge tank at a certain temperature. They have to be, you know, they have to have the right humidity. It has to be like moist, but not too moist, not too dry. Well, for Jake, what it meant then was that he was bringing this guy this snake cross country you know big long car journeys usually be the loop so it wouldn't be on planes and such how would it even be in a car like surely in a bag in the back but no i i realize how it's the the it's the animal welfare side of things how how were these experts who were working with the company come on now how were they not able to go look this type of snake will need a probably 20 foot enclosure. It's, it's, it can't go in a car. It's big exotics. Like we, we, we watched Tiger King. Like, you know, you're not, look, I, I learned this. I met, was the naive person who went into the world of animal welfare research who just assumed the more you know about animals, the more that the people you work with will care about animals. Yeah. And, you know, the stuff, and I thought, you know, I'd worked with bears, I'd done stuff with centipedes and stuff with birds and all that. And then I was working with like house cats and I thought, House cats, like, such a common animal, so well looked after, so appreciated. Fluffy and beloved. And, and I would think, I'm not going to come across people who are weird. And I, I'm not going to name companies or names, but I worked with a lot of charities, and I was very shocked with what I heard really? and what I saw, and the opinions and the and the discussions that were had. This is not by any means an excuse, but I will say... I had someone who worked with me when I did Centipede stuff, his whole professorship, his whole work life and his whole um, his whole skill set is poison and snakes and tarantulas and venom and all that. Mm. Very interesting fellow called Michel Dugan and he knows his shit and we spend many hours talking about Jake Roberts. He didn't watch wrestling but he knew about this because it is considered in the venom and snake community to be one of the most egregious examples of bad animal welfare because Jake had these snakes, you're given all the requirements there, at best, what, you would stick him in a bathtub, yeah. you know, in the hotel. There are stories of snakes dying. There's yeah. stories of snakes being found elsewhere, showed up hurt, maimed, had to be put down because they were malnourished or not looked after. It's a shit show. And I don't even blame Jake because he shouldn't have ever been put in this position. It's the company's ultimate responsibility. Exactly. It's the company's responsibility and it just goes to show how, you know, how little people seem to care about animal welfare I mean, and yeah. especially... With when it comes to animals that aren't 
cute. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. From the world of centipedes, I'll tell you, no one gives a flying fuck about it. Like, snakes are evil and whatnot. Yeah. And I will say, the company's ultimate responsibility in the 80s and all that, I feel it, it runs with them. It was Jake's responsibility when he took this gimmick out in the, in the indies and stuff. And, like, 2005, he got raided by the RSPCA when he lived in the UK. And he was arrested and charged with with animal cruelty mm. and i will say you know there's there's a lot to be said for the rspca they're not without their issues but like yeah in terms of like snakes being looked after poorly i remember when we were in we lived in lincoln uh there was well known there was a guy who literally had a shed full of snakes he just bred poisonous snakes and it was like this commonly known thing of like we all knew it but no one seemed to be able to stop them oh my <laughs> you know God, that's so scary so yeah i'm not the one to say that it's jake snake is completely hands washed of all you know he's been charged he's had to deal criminally he's got yeah. a record because of this vince mcmahon made a circus and he made it happen in a backdrop of wrestlers doing coke and partying and all the other stuff we've talked about it was no place for most people yet alone a fucking snake yeah that's the thing and, and jake wasn't even able to look after himself or the people he traveled with yeah, you like, know, no no way was he able to look after that everyone who spent a good deal of time with him either said he couldn't even look after himself or he actively brought down other people like mm. he, he brought out the worst addictions in the people he spent time around with yeah and that's not you're not the, obviously you can't look after a snake there's times where you're i we watch a lot of matches and promos where i see the snake and i i wasn't bothered i'm not an expert on snake welfare i'm sure snake handlers would watch it and a lot more stuff would make him cringe the stuff with the cobra really did make me cringe. Where he's because yeah. the cobra wouldn't stand up, and every time he's doing a promo with the cobra, he's tapping it with his two fingers yeah. to, to kind of anger it, basically. Yeah. And like, look, it's the eighties. Jake did this in the WWE until like ninety two. He came back in ninety six, did the snakes again. I think time has moved on in a way where I think we can say if we were to ever have animals in wrestling again, it would need to be in a much more careful environment than this. And that just brings me. If you've not checked out our Patreon reviews, we've talked about it a lot. You know, the terror of animals. Cody's fucking dog. Jesus fucking Christ. I don't think I've seen a more abused animal in wrestling the last fucking 10 years than that. The goat that they brought out so they could do a little funny punchline with... It's Chris Jericho. That was really worth traumatizing a fucking goat in Jacksonville for. Yeah, good going. No animals in wrestling on a fucking live set with pyro and fucking lights and bam, 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 bam. Fuck off. I just... It makes me really sad because I genuinely think animals are very interesting i think it's a they great are. way of getting everyone interested it could in be done safely i think and it could that's the thing we have come obviously in the 80s we weren't as aware of animal welfare as we are now well we've we come, didn't care as much didn't i care guess much. But, like similarly studies hadn't been done the way yeah. like, we've we've come a huge long way it's the fact that like this is this is many people's full-time careers yeah. now people have been studying this topic for decades so it's not a case of like you literally cannot plead ignorance if you're working with animals and you're a, you're a large production company you, you can find the experts who can tell you exactly yeah. what you need to do to keep those animals safe and it's exactly the same as working with children or vulnerable people or the elderly or whoever it's just a matter of safekeeping like WWE if, was, if they were to go and like find someone to help them with their AR technology that they've been doing you know just all I'd ask any company is like put the same amount of care and thought into that because they probably went out and they made sure they found an expert someone who could tell them what to do someone who has a track record of doing a good job and could explain it to them and contextualize them in their exciting different world of wrestling it's just mad to me that when I worked as a social media manager for a bank I had to go through more levels of legal and compliance than any wrestling company has ever had to do with regards to animal welfare issues it's fucking ridiculous so they're talking about you know Jake's career at this point. He's 
really kind of shoots to notoriety. An early one was uh, him wrestling with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You know, they did animal versus animal. It was kind of a bit of a miserable thing seeing, you know, Ricky Steamboat pick up this fucking poor little guy and just wriggle him around for everyone. It was really pathetic. It was it was underwhelming. Like it was a little crocodile, not even a Komodo dragon. Uh, boring pointless ricky mm. doesn't need it i think he just could have called him the dragon regardless and people would have gone yeah cool because he's he's handsome like a dragon and cool like a dragon and yeah stylish right. like a dragon he doesn't need a fake crocodile dragon thing and it doesn't do anything he just kind of like lunges it at jake's snake and then that's that's it jake runs away it's yeah it's it's not really much to it i mean also both animals seem heavily sedated uh, yeah, I think I mean those are one of the reasons you keep the snake in the bag is yeah. to think it's it's nighttime so it will kind of wake up a little bit when it comes out. In terms of the croc in terms of the the little guy, I, I think probably that croc was 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 sedated of some sort like CO two or something like that. I don't know, just to kind of slow it down yeah. because it didn't. It I mean again, it was wrapped up in a bag as well. So you know, I mean, another thing that they can do sometimes as well to slow down reptiles. I don't think it's very ethical. Is you can put it in a cold room, mm. and that will because they're cold blooded, yeah. it will slow down their heart rate and literally make them move less. But like, there's also things. I mean, anyone who will have watched like Steve Irwin or any type of like experts dealing with animals, especially like dangerous animals, mm. there are all kinds of little tricks and things you can do. Experts can do with animals to keep them controlled well you or know, calm or whatever vince was was making his circus on a on a on a quick fast turnaround yeah. and it's always interesting to look back in the 80s and see a time when i don't think you think there's a comparison in terms of the autonomy that the stars have over their kind of their character and their persona and their matches and their promos and all that you know because jake roberts this is very much a jake roberts production with some vince mcmahon notes but also as well in the fact that they're ultimately, at the same time, very powerless. Because when Vince McMahon and, you know, co turn around and say, that DDT, give it to Ricky Steamboat on the concrete. He's like, oh, you'll probably get concussed. And like, hey, good. Ricky, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, give him the DDT on the concrete. And yeah, I've seen you wince and wrestling before. But the noise that made when he got the DDT on the concrete, like Vince wanted, it was fucking disgusting. He literally exploded his head, it felt like. I think the thing that upset me most about it was just what a waste it was it's again more just like random unnecessary trauma it feels yeah. like because he, he he's really fucked up about that like jake felt really like he was an unsafe worker or something yeah like i imagine that. that would it would really and the fact that like he said he didn't want to do it but he didn't say too strongly he didn't want to do it because you know his paycheck's on the line you can yeah. understand that power dynamic so he probably is all f- sorts of guilty about not putting his foot down enough and saying no it's kind of a wild west situation in wrestling during that time period you know it feels like i don't know there's some comparisons could be made from this early early wwf to like late wcw not in terms of success and all that but just in terms of like inmates running the asylum a little bit like just kind of things happening or things not being as professional as you'd expect case in point Jake Roberts, whose promos are definitely a highlight of the entire show. They think, right, Roddy Piper's heading off. We need another talking segment. So he's given the snake pit where he can talk, never raises his voice, interviews some characters and all that. They bring on the honky tonk man, whose gimmick is that he's the worst human being. Oh, sorry, no, that's his later gimmick. His gimmick is that he's an Elvis impersonator. And they want to do a spot with the guitar. 
That's harmless enough, right? You've seen El Cabong, bang, people getting hit with guitars in wrestling. Yeah, so I've always wanted to be hit by a guitar in wrestling. I'd like to feel it explode over my head. It seems like it would be fun. And I know that they're all worked as well. They're like shaven inside, so it wouldn't hurt. And the other thing they do is you get a big, easy to burst bag of like talcum powder as well. On the point of impact, so when you hit them, it kind of goes like Like a big puff of smoke. Really great. Honky Tonk Man didn't have one of those guitars, Joe, did he? No. So apparently there was some kind of mix up with the prop. And I suppose this, I'm really surprised this doesn't happen more often, to be honest, because Honky Tonk Man does play guitar, like, mm. in real life. Well, I mean, he just goes, ding, 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 ding. he doesn't actually play it. Oh, doesn't he? No. Oh, okay, well, I have no idea how this happened, because I, I was under the impression that because Honky Tonk's character played guitar... I mean, he just kind of they, pretends to play it, like, yeah, he doesn't actually play it, yeah. But, like, I was under the impression that because his character plays guitar, they needed a functioning real guitar. And then, therefore, when they said, okay, Honky Tonk Man needs a guitar, they gave him a real guitar. Right, right. Rather than, Honky Tonk Man needs a guitar, obviously he's not going to actually play it, get him one of those rigged ones. I think the reason is, is that a rigged guitar might be slightly more difficult to actually hold and kind of, you know, move, because he would do the Elvis moves and stuff oh, like right. that. that makes no sense because they're literally like think of a table that people go through that falls over and breaks on its own if you stood there with a gimmick guitar and went i'm a honky tonk man and did like loads of you know gyration with it and kind of doing the dance you'd probably have the body falling off the the, the, the arm so, of it because that's what we've seen lo- i mean i mean it's maybe the technology's come a long way i think it may have because like this elias was, shouldn't have happened but <laughs> yeah elias is always beating people up with guitars and doing all sorts of things yeah. and he actually plays on them that's true i know he's got a special type of guitar i think that's a newer technology because like, the ones I'm talking about is the old kind of Jeff Jarrett like. There's times in TNA where Jeff Jarrett would come out with his guitar, raise his hands, this pyro would go off and literally the pyro going would blow the front of the guitar off. Wow. And he'd be like, I'm Jeff Jarrett and his guitar is like, like it's a fucking toys accessory. So he gets hit in the head full whack with a guitar, which I'm sure during the 90s when people were getting hit with guitar lots, I'm sure I thought about getting hit with a guitar once from looking at my brother's room. Uh, I just got hit with a nightstick, so I was okay. Oh, that's, that's much right. better, much isn't better. it, then? God, it'd be awful if you got uh, hit with a guitar. Honestly, being hit in the head with a nightstick sounds a lot better than being hit in the head with a guitar. He falls down like he's been shot in the back of the head with a high-powered rifle. Jake says it nearly killed him. He blew two discs in his neck. It makes this kind of like Jake Roberts-sized dent. And then Honky Tonk's like, uh-oh, he looks hurt. So what will I do in this situation? He reels up and he hits him like four or five more times. He smashes the guitar over and over again. I didn't even realize. I just thought it was like, oh, hit in the head, lights out, concussion, that's bad. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, next stuff. But the other description he had about why this was so mm. horrible. It's the fiberglass. What, what is this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't fuck all about guitars. You have to tell me here, musical lady, what's going on? <laughs> Some instruments are coated with like a type of resin or a fiberglass material. Uh, the only it's actually kind of protected against like strumming and if you like don't scratch it up kind of thing. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Honestly, the only reason I'm even aware of fiberglass is because of watching so many episodes of Robot Wars. It's <laughs> often used on robots in Robot Wars. Only, only the really intense yeah. families would use that though, right? But it's, it's really strong. It's, um, you can shape it in anything you want and it's yeah it's like scratch resistant i believe but it's really really dangerous when you're making it and when you're like cutting it because it's all these tiny 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 little sharp fibers of like glass plastic yeah yeah. but it's all like kind of mushed together 
And so it's a bit like, the only thing I can compare it to is like, you know that cheap plywood you get? Right. It's like that, but made of glass. So it breaks into shards, it, like, Yeah, it just shatters. And these shards are so tiny, and because they're like glass, you can't even see them. So it becomes like these glass fibres oh that God. just like, they're like hair. It just covers you. He describes being in bed. He says he was covered in fiberglass for a week. Yeah. But like, it's bad enough that he was covered in fiberglass. It's the fact that he was hit over the head. Yeah. And the fiberglass, it would have gotten in his eyes. He'd have inhaled it. It would you're have gone. You're recovering from concussion, yeah. neck trauma. Like you're going to be laid up anyway in bed. So the fact that he's saying like he'd shift on this pillow and all of a sudden it feels like someone's stabbing him in the kidneys yeah. because he's got the fiberglass in him. Like, okay, I don't want to say that Jake Roberts was a saint before this because he was talking about partying. He was talking about that was all, you know, mentioned and well and truly above board yeah i feel it's important to say at this point that he had earlier on acknowledged that he was already taking a lot of drugs by this I mean, point yeah and this he, is this is the style of, of 80s wrestling in wwf and at this point i think he was he was arguing to himself and to others that the reason he was taking drugs is because you know he needed it for the job you get injured you make recoveries you, you, you take it's a part of the lifestyle but, he admitted though hmm. himself he, he was taking them because he enjoyed it. Yeah. And he, that's what he says with all these things. You start off taking them because you enjoy them, which is what he was doing. He's like, he was, he was having a drink because he enjoyed it. He'd do a little cocaine because he enjoyed it. He'd wound up after cocaine. He'd do a little muscle relaxer, you know, something like that. Barbiturate, cake him back down because he enjoyed it. But once he has this injury, he's like, I have to take these painkillers now yeah. because of this injury that I've had. I'm in so much pain all over head to toe. Oh shit, I got to perform. I need to be able to think. Got to do some cocaine. Uh-oh, showing up to the show. I'm a little bit keyed up still. Got to take some muscle relaxants. Yeah. And again, look, you can say, ah, everyone's got an excuse, brother. Da, da, da. He was doing this already. He's not saying that someone waved a wand and he became dependent. He was already probably dependent. But this is, again, an example of how the resting lifestyle is uniquely suited to the addict and the cycle of abuse that happens with these drugs. And it's not even just in wrestling. I think this is how... This is how trauma manifests yeah. often. It's 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 very easy, I think, to tell yourself, oh, anyone with any kind of like addiction problem, drug addiction, or any, anything like that, oh, they brought it upon themselves because they were lazy or they didn't try hard enough, mm. or you know, they just one thing went wrong and they made a bad mistake and then it all went downhill from there. But it's it's never as simple as that. It's yeah. always more complicated. And it's more often than not, it's the culmination of many different factors. It's, it's you know, childhood trauma yeah. or abuse or not having a safe home or family to go to or a genetic predisposition towards, like, addiction. Mm. There's so many factors. And bloody hell, Jake had all of them. And shows you again how high-functioning he is is because, you know... After this, like after this injury, the one which for most people, like he, he said this changed his career forever. Like this is like for him the equivalent of when Austin got the pile driver and broke his neck because he said his style had to change. We obviously watched him in Ricky Steamboat and you know, for, and, and some of his earlier matches, he was moving a lot quicker yeah. than he would later on. He still is fluid, but he does kind of slow down a bit because of this injury. But what comes after this is like, you know, him and Alice Cooper at WrestleMania <laughs> 3. Like, it's the biggest stuff of his career. So cool. I love that. And I love that he <laughs> idolized Alice Cooper as well. What a good role model for him. You like Alice Cooper be beating up Jimmy Hart with a snake? That's a mood for you, Amazing. yeah? Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Also, I didn't expect to see 19-year-old John Cena in this documentary. Oh, he was very young, wasn't he? So such a boy. He comes in and say, I like Jake Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> the champ is here. Thank you very much. There are a few of these little feuds that he does I just want to touch on. I can't think of a promo that has fascinated me, entertained me, on a day you can make me bust out laughing, other days you can make me just get covered in goosebumps. 
It's made me probably well up with tears at some point. I used it as a sting on my radio show. I showed it to so many non-fans. It's when he's feuding with Ted DiBiase. And the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase is one of my favourite characters. And he wrestles him at WrestleMania. And no more does it kind of emphasise what a great promo this was. Was right before Joe and I watched Beyond the Mat. We were getting up to the point where Jake was coming in. And Joe had been telling me so much about how Jake Roberts was so sexy. Because he got his great moustache, soft-spoken, he's got the chest hair, he's very cerebral. The Don't way forget the twinkly in the eyes. The twinkly in the eyes, the little eyebrow. Ugh. Oh, come on, you know. Trust me, all great stuff. And I just turned to Joe and I said, Joe, they're just about to get into the part of the movie with Jake now. And I just want you to know, to prepare yourself, because perhaps you're about to see some things that might challenge your current pie-in-the-sky, sexy Jake Roberts fantasies. I press play. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you'll be the one that grovels for the money. And how appropriate. That the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed. Wallowing. In the muck of, oh, damn it, I've got a big erection. God damn it. <laughs> damn it. And you were like, what? You were even more enamored with it. It's the best promo ever. Don't <laughs> at me. It is the best promo ever. Oh, how can he flip the switch, Joe, from being a demon, like a demonic, evil, sinful man, Jake the Snake Roberts, a crook, and all of a sudden he's talking about the downtrodden people who've been laughed at and mocked, and now he's an advocate for the... Oh, he, no one can flip a switch like him. Healer face, I feel I can believe everything that comes out of his mouth. It's interesting that you refer to it as flipping a switch, because one of the main things I found when watching this was that I can't tell when he's supposed to be heel or face. I mean, obviously sometimes I can tell. Like, when he's doing the really overt evil stuff with the snakes. Yeah. But, like, that promo there, to me, that felt like a really good heel. Like, that felt like a heel who really understands their character. I guess I feel, I mean, flip the switch, you're, you're right, because the tone and the delivery is it's almost is identical. And again, I think one of the greatest tropes from, you know, the old westerns and stuff that we love most in wrestling is, you know, the old bad outlaw, the gunslinger, the bad yeah. guy decides... This one last time I'm going to do something right for once in my rotten life. But I think it's the fact that Jake can still deliver the same verbiage, be the same guy. He's not, he is still Jake the Snake Roberts. Much Like Ric Flair could still be Ric Flair. Yeah. The way that Roddy Piper couldn't be Roddy as a good guy or a bad guy. I feel he was very different at those that's, points. That's the thing. I feel a lot of wrestlers who have this like particular style... They usually can only be heel or face. Macho Man can do it as well, I think. Yeah, I think there's very few wrestlers that can just keep the same style they have and it work for both heels and faces. And I say that's especially true of like current day wrestling. Harder than ever. I am actually struggling to think of a single current wrestler who is the same character when they're a heel as when they're a face. Um, the only one I, I'm, I'm being generous. Yeah. I'll say, and I've not, want, I mean, we're in 2020 where he's just turned heel again, so it could be wrong, but I felt Braun Strowman was very much like a, bro, I'm going to destroy things as a good guy and a bad guy, depending on if he's destroying Roman or if he's going to destroy the Miz, you know? True, but 
that's not the same. No, because it's not a big promo, is it? Like? No, because that's <laughs> like saying Jake had the snake when he was heel or face. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing he does, not what he is. Like mm. Braun's promos and the way he wrestles changes depending on if he's a heel or a face. Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, perfect. There we go. Yeah, that, there you go. That's exactly accurate. Because yeah. in 2020, they're definitely played into the fact yeah. that this guy is an evil bastard, but you know, he'll he's fuck exactly you up. He's exactly the same, you know? yeah. yeah. He's still sexy. He's still really confident and cool. While we're in the topic of incredibly sexualized Jake Roberts promos and things that you love so much about him that made you go all a flutter, we got to talk about his feud with the ravishing one, Rick Rude, the man with the greatest upper body in professional wrestling history and a man who... His whole gimmick was that everyone's obsessed with him. He'd go to the ladies in the audience going, why did you come here tonight, sweetheart? And she'd be like, I came to see Rick Rude. And he goes, of course you did. And he called all the men greasy sweat hogs. <laughs> Shut up while this sexy man takes off his robe and these women can see what a real man looks like. But he didn't bank on Jake Roberts' wife showing up. Yeah, so he turns to a woman in the crowd who turns out to be Jake's wife and he's like, were you here then? And she's like, no, I'm here for Jake the Snake Roberts. And the crowd goes wild and Rick Rude's like, what? And then he tries to, does he try to attack her or he says something insulting? And then Jake runs out and is like, and beats him up. Seeing Jake defending the honor of his wife was was, was fun to see. Now, you've spoken many times on on this, on Patreon reviews, etc. About kind of, you know, not necessarily that you're saying, I don't want this to be in wrestling. It's just very often is the case that men don't do this or women don't get to do this. It seems to be like highly gendered. Big thing we've talked about is like, People being stripped out of clothes and stuff like yep. that. And I think I sheepishly came to you in Paul Heyman's episode and be like, Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette raped each other's clothes off once. Does that kind of count? No. Is that the same as like Sable and Tori no. doing No, this? in fact, that's, that's us further back, actually. So, <laughs> so well done. So you were happy to see what was going down in the late 80s with Jake Roberts when ravishing Rick Rude showed up with his new tights. That had Jake Roberts' wife on the face in the crotch. It was a very, like, like Lacey Evans did the exact same thing recently. <laughs> except they didn't go as ham with, with no. what happened afterwards. And it's great. Because I loved Rick Rude from what I've seen. He's very sexy. Mm. I, I have a thing for moustaches. Do you, Joe? Yes, I do. So yeah, I, I love Rick Rude. And I love that his whole gimmick is that he's, like, a hot guy with a hot body. Is he a himbo? I don't know enough about his character okay, to know if he's him, though. He enough. seems like he probably would be. Um, but what I found interesting when I first saw these two together was that, to me, Rick Rude is nowhere near as sexy as Jake. Like, Jake is, like, top tier, for me personally, the sexiest person in wrestling I ever. I think the second closest in terms of times you've talked about this is maybe... You mentioned Scott Hall. Is it being yeah. saved by DDP? Is that, in, <laughs> is that why you went out with me? Because when you met me, I started to do DDP yeah. yoga. I'm like, I lost a stone. You're like, hubba, hubba. <laughs> Look at this guy sitting on a couch with his legs crossed. No, I think I just like hairy men. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that as well. That as well. That's fine. So, yeah, you've got really super sexy Jake Roberts. And then you've got sexy Rick Rude. And you've got Jake wrestling around with Rick stripping his sexy tight leggings off and his bum is there and it's all censored and Bobby Heenan's like no yeah. and he hits Bobby Heenan so he can't stop him stripping his his charge or whatever and then Rick kind of falls over and is like 
and he's all embarrassed and stuff and Jake's like cackling and laughing like pulling at his leggings and stuff and it's like it's proper the thing that made me uncomfortable in like attitude era and later women's matches where Mm. it was like one woman is obviously like sexually humiliating another woman and all these men are getting off on it and that is the only time I've seen it done to men and it done well because it's too I I don't want to say like oh they're hot because I find them hot but like as in like you know, but a lot of people find these two men hot. It's like they are part of their character, part of the reason why people like them so much is because they were sexy. It's part of their brand yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Unlike Jim Cornette and Paul Heyman. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, come on now, Joe. All right now. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here now. I'm not come saying on. they're not sexy because to some people they absolutely will be. It's just that that's not what they're for. And like when you've got these people who are like, their role is to partly be sexy and then they get to be sexy in a match. I mean, Rick Rude knows what he's doing with those arms, yeah. folks. You know, yeah. And <laughs> Jake, even though he's not like a sexualized character, his whole gimmick is so like, it is about sex. Yeah. I mean, raised eyebrows, he talks about like, there's a recurring line he always does in his promos where it's like, the things I always enjoyed doing the most were the things I was told I wasn't allowed to do. Yeah. And like he will say that as a heel or as a face. What I did actually quite like as well about the Rick Rude thing, and kind of what made it like even better in a respect, is how mad Jake was legitimately. Like he legitimately was furious that they had done her face on the yeah. tights. So like when he went out there, he's like, I'm fucking ripping that shit. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this. He's like, I'm f- your fucking pants are coming off right now. And there's something about the rawness of it that really kind of sold it. I mean, here's, here's how we judge its success. Were you interested to then see Jake Robertson and Rick Rude in a match at some point? Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, if that's done its job, it's done its job. I mean, obviously, what I really want is some sort of like restaurant and gravy or something. We got to get to that fantasy booking seminar at some point. <laughs> we'll get around to it. Let's take us to our first match. This is a match which has, for many years, had a label as one of the worst WrestleMania matches of all time, which I've always held a candle for this. And it's through doing this podcast with you, which has really actually helped me kind of figure out and zone in on like, what did I actually like about wrestling? Mm -hmm. Which you very rarely will ask yourself as a wrestling fan if you're just churning yourself into watching it every week, every week, always, always, always without fail. Yeah, you think about what you don't like, not what you like. (laughs) And I really, thank you very much for helping me figure out what I like. And a lot of what I like is what you like and what I like is different to what you like. And that's all well and good. However, the showmanship aspect of things and the ability to make a crowd react without having to sacrifice your body necessarily. Not that I'm saying I don't like those matches as well. I absolutely do. So don't you stop doing your top rope moonsaults. This match is a blindfold match between Rick Martel and Jake the Snake Roberts. And I just figured even me saying that alone would be intriguing for you. I mean, blindfold match and Jake the Snake. Is that a match made in heaven for you? (laughs) I've never seen a blindfold match before. I don't really know how it can work. I think we did do one for D'Lo Brown episode. I think you wrestled Triple H in like a two minute blindfold match we watched. But again, that's, we're talking like three years ago. We watched like a two minute match. Probably not going to remember. No, I don't. Does it stand to good reason that a blindfold match might be, I mean, are you surprised to hear that just the blindfold match has got a bad rep in wrestling as being like a bad match type. No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I am surprised that it's here, that it, they did this. This is, it seems like such a... Like there's so many instances in Jake's career where it's kind of like, how how was Vince Russo not responsible for that decision? How how did he not travel back in time and like put his bad opinions like, in this? How is this like... 
I mean, interesting you say that. I want to come back to that. But like, I mean, how is this considered to be like a kind of classic golden era? And then like some of the stuff in the Edge era is kind of considered to be like, well, this is really hokey and weird. That would never happen in wrestling. Mm. Like the the setup for this match is there is a wrestler called Rick Martel who is a model and he has his own brand of perfume called Arrogance. And Jake Roberts has been blind for nearly six months because he months? got spread. Yeah, this has been going on since before Survivor Series. Jake worked blind this entire time. This is like bigger than when the Sandman got blinded. What? So what? He had loads of matches where he couldn't. No, couldn't no, no. See. He would just do run-ins. He'd cut promos. He'd come in and desperately... Tr- we saw him come in desperately trying to get his hands on somebody he thought was Rick Martel, but he grabbed Tito Santana because of a similar body shape. Give him a DDT by mistake. <laughs> we come in and he grabbed the referee. And it's like, damn it, Jake can't get his, his vision back. And Jake could like pull off his glasses. And he have, like, Did you like the effects that they had on his yeah, eye? It's amazing. It seems like so much more effort than they would do today. It's so easy. It's simple. It looked better than the eye that came out of Rey Mysterio in yeah. 2020. I'll say that much. They basically gave him two different coloured contacts. One, it's like a white coloured contact so he's got like no iris or anything, no pupil. And the other one is like red and busted and looks gross. Yeah. It just looked properly like just general vague eye injury special effects. It was just really yeah. good. Really well done. And I think there was... A part of Jake that I really was impressed by while watching the stuff for this feud was that his selling is so... Yeah. like He's not somebody selling a lot of matches very much generally. I mean, he does sell, obviously, but when he's selling like a crazy injury, like he was been sprayed in the eye or whatever, and like he's fucking thrashing about, it was really, really something else. Mm. And he sells like the sadness of losing his vision and his eyes. Like it's really fucking well done. Like for something that's so silly... Like, what's the promos? He does a great job with silly material, to be honest. He has this look in his eyes, which is so impressive, when he's, like, blinded, of this, like, kind of panic, confusion, and fear, but also anger, mm. which is, like, such a convincing... Like, yes, that is exactly how you'd feel if you couldn't see and you were a wrestler yeah. and you have to fight someone. And, like, that is scary and confusing and you would be angry. And it's just the way he's able to get all of those complex, conflicting emotions across in a look. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to, to, to be able to do that. You know, wrestlers would struggle with conveying half of that with words. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Joe's favourite wrestler, Rick the Model Martel. Is that safe to say? You liked his uh, his gimmick, etc. that he had going on? Yeah, I liked it. It was good, yeah. I need to get gimmick. one of those Yes, I Am a Model badges. Very, very good <laughs> indeed. Now, of course, much like uh, Rick Martel's previous matches this one has had to have special rules to be fair so they both have to wear blindfolds so it's fair to Jake who's recovering from his blindness much like when he wrestled Shawn Michaels he had to avoid being hit or hitting Shawn in the face otherwise it wouldn't be fair to sensational Sherry who wanted to look at the nice men that she was managing mm-hmm. so fairness is a big part in all of this folks the promo oh it was so short and so good and so fucking perfect the blind leading the blind? Well, a man has five senses, but a snake has got six. But snakes always do it better. Raised eyebrow in the dark. That music. We talk about the music. Every entrance I get fucking goosebumps. Everyone. Yeah, me too. It's so cool. Why is it so cool? Oh, it's really cool. It's like... Hmm, it's like... You said it was John Carpenter's The Wrestler. <laughs> and I believed you. I was like, yeah. Makes sense. They got him in for this, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that's not, like, 
that that's wrestling music. That's mm. not like a piece of classical music or a piece of like, you know, famous music that was reclaimed for go wrestling. Go on, Jim Johnson, by the way. Seriously, yeah, seriously, go on. Genuinely one of the best pieces of music I think ever written in all time. Definitely, definitely, in my humble opinion, the best entrance music of all wow. time. Wow. No question about it. You and come, I know. Come back to our live yeah. show then with that. That's yeah. well. There you go. I it's mean, just, it, it has all the energy of like, of his character, which is like this 80s slash 90s anti-hero. Yeah, like you said he was like an action movie star. Yeah. Like kind of, not like, kind of like, I don't want to step on Roddy Piper's toes. But. But like, they live with Jake yeah, Roberts. Yeah, literally. Seems like it would make a lot more sense in some respects. Yes, definitely. And that's the thing that I think surprised me most about when we did the Roddy Piper episode was that. I my first foray into Roddy Piper was a couple of his promos and obviously his films. And so when I saw him as a wrestler, I was expecting him to be this the, the cool, everyman type of thing. Like anti-hero, like living the gimmick, being the character. As opposed to being, I bet you're wondering why half of me is blacked up. Well, let me tell you some yeah. Michael Jackson lyrics to make you real uncomfortable. Ah! Like he's just not cool at all in the way that like all of his characters in all the movies he plays are so cool. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like the fact that he I don't know if he just didn't want to or he had no interest in it or what, but like the fact that he wasn't able to go, I should be that. Instead, mm. it's almost like Jake was like, well, I am that. So I'm going to I'm going to be that. He just carries himself with this confidence of like an action hero. Yeah. But he's also like the fact that he's not like conventionally handsome. You know, he's he's balding a bit. He's got a mullet. A bit of a pot belly. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, he's like on the older side. His power was his mind, Joe. Exactly. He just has this like, he exudes this confidence you can feel people being melted into their seats yeah like, you know the little touches like you know he describes this in beyond the mat he's like you know when i come out like the, the performance begins when i step through the curtain like the, that is the match beginning like the looks that i give you know he's got the bag if he's kind of struggling with the bag you can get you can see sells with the bag yeah he sells with the walk i love he kind of tosses the bag in you can tell if he's going to come in fast or slow what his demeanor is and I love when he goes into the corner he just kind of sits down and just kind of like rubs his chin a little bit so psyching cool. out the opponent you know Aww. so yeah it's, it's funny you say about that like him coming out to the ring because I do remember earlier on you saying that wrestlers often have these like pre-match rituals where they'll, <laughs> they'll do certain things to like get into the character yeah. or the mindset like they'll, or they'll work out or something to like get their body and their mind prepared Foley listens to Tori Amos is yeah. what we, we, we said and you know there's a lot of like ECW wrestlers who swore by you know heavy metal death metal stuff like that Austin on his podcast talked about you know Jake Roberts pre-match ritual and he's like well I finally got to work to the World Wrestling Federation I see the great Jake the Snake Roberts he's about to go out and do his uh, do a big match very, very main event, and Jake would just stand by the ringside area. He would take one long drag of his cigarette when his music hit. He would then put out his cigarette, and then he would go to the ring. That's the pre-rash ritual. Fucking the same hell. in the 80s when he was in the territories. It was the same in the late 90s when he was back in, you know, burgeoning at your WWF. He could. He just had it. He didn't have to get there. He was there already, which is like, whoa, awesome. But then when you think about the kind of turmoil and the complexity of the mindset of Jake Roberts, you can get the sense of much like Ric Flair, he couldn't escape from yeah, the exactly. character. It's not that like he has to go to that place. He never left. Yeah, and he can't. And it's difficult. How does this match work then, Joe? If two men are going to be in blindfolds, what's going to happen here? How do they actually get this one started? Are the crowd into it? Yeah, the crowd are into it, definitely. It, it obviously starts slow because they are both blindfolded. Mm. They've got these big sacks on their heads so they can't, can't see. You didn't see Jake then. Uh, the people 
Someone say some people say the reason this match is ruined is because you can see really if you look out for it, Jake literally turns to someone in in the crowd and pokes his finger through it to say, Look, look, I can see. What why does he do that? Fuck this gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Why? I mean he's he's a he's a little bit self destructive, I think is the easiest way to say it. Fucking you know? hell. But you know, I mean, the tiny bit of self sabotage, I guess. But you know, there's not many people I would be excited to watch point around a ring. Like, you know? And he doesn't even point at first. He crawls, which I, I really like because that's what I would do if I was in a blindfold match. I would immediately get as low as possible, mm. lower my center of gravity and just stay quiet and yeah. listen. And that's exactly what he does. He tries to not move as much as possible so he can hear where his opponent is. It's an enhanced feeling out process. Yeah. And then once he kind of can hear whereabouts vaguely within the ring Rick is, he points. And then the audience immediately figure out what he's doing and they stay quiet if he's not pointing at him and they cheer louder if he's pointing directly at him. Now, imagine if they were trying to do something like this now in WWE. <laughs> You'd have someone backstage like Ricochet going, I can't wait for the WWE Universe to help me in my blindfold match. Make sure that you point out <laughs> to me or you send me a tout so I know which corner. Like, he didn't even have... That's it. What a complex thing. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to literally play puppet master with a crowd while we're pretending to be blindfolded to find out where each other are. That is the most complicated fucking thing in the world. Imagine if it didn't work. Imagine if they didn't cheer or they didn't figure it out. What do you do? Get in the mic. What I mean is for you to cheer when I start pointing at the motherfucker. No, no, nothing like that. With a point. With a look. Like Bobby and Gorilla figured out on commentary what he's doing. It's so fucking cool to hear that. Like It makes me wonder how on earth they choreographed this match or how they planned it like do you think they can see, i think they can see a little bit oh no I, yeah, I know yeah. they can see that i i took for granted but my point is is that do you think jake would have gone or someone would have gone right jake we want you to point at places in the ring and we are expecting the audience to to cheer no no i think he that's what he he's he, they're putting him in the blindfold match and he's this is what he's going to do like this is all his call i'd say because i think there's a few there's a few wrestlers I can imagine doing something like that Very today. Few. <laughs> like Colt Cabana. Yeah, yeah, like honestly. Totally doing something Toriano, like that. Like, yeah, Toriano, yeah. Where are your points if they laugh the most? That's what he'll go. Because <laughs> you know what, Toriano would be great. Where's the turnbuckle? Yeah, they just point him in the direction of wrong things. Like, you know? Oh no, it's his DVD. Or he'd end up in an elevator again. No! <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, like, because it's Jake, and because, as everyone says, he's got this, like, this connection to the crowd he mm. understands how to control an audience and how to manipulate them in the way he wants he just has this like relationship that you often only see with wrestlers who have come up through the indies mm. and like wrestled in front of almost no one yeah, it's like yeah. this skill like william regal i think we mentioned on his small episode arena skill, yeah, yeah it's something that only comes through practice in front of not many people yeah and i think to be able to you know, this is 1981. He's been in the, the WWE for five, six years at this point, thereabouts. And you know, to still have that memory and skill from way back then, being through what he's been through and you know, doing to his body what he's doing to his body, it's again, it speaks so much. Like the fact that you got this level of Jake Roberts, there'll always be the kind of slightly unfair question of like, imagine if he was sober, if he was, you know, you know, had his head screwed on properly, he wasn't all fucked up. It's kind of a difficult question to answer because like very often the case and I'm not glorifying them but it's very often the case that these traumas and this lifestyle kind of lends itself like he is this person that we're fascinated with because of who he is not in spite of who he is at yes times. I, I think that's a very important thing to acknowledge because and I don't ever want to say that trauma is a good thing because that's not how it but works you're denying yourself you're saying it's not part of why you're fascinated with them I just think 
with anyone who exists, whether you've gone through trauma or not, what makes you unique is the most interesting thing about you. Yeah. And for Jake, that was the type of person it had shaped him into. And I'm not saying that like without the trauma, he would have been bad. Mm. He just would have been very different. Yeah, it's, I think it's impossible to say, oh, he would have been so much better without, you it know, the drug addiction or yeah. the trauma. It's like, you don't, you literally don't know. And also we don't know even, he could have been fucking not sober one second of his wrestling career. And again, we wouldn't even know. You, you can't boil it down to individual instances. No. We, we picked like five or six degree traumatic events from Jake's life. But it's like, you kind of say like, Oh, if Bret Hart, if he didn't get screwed and owned it and die, everything would have worked out no. fine. No, like it's a lifetime of trauma. Listen to yeah. the episode. You know, there's plenty that happened before and after and mm-hmm. since, you know. I love some of the real standard things that they got a big pop out of me for. Like when they went for the Irish whip and Jake kind of just wandered off. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, walked to the side. Again, really Samoa Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Jake is calm, whereas Rick Martell is frustrated. And he's like, he's literally putting his hands on his ears. Like, shut up. I'm trying to figure out where he is. And Jake is just slowly like, he says point where he's just in the corner. He just kind of picks a corner. And then another corner. Like, he's not frustrated. He knows he's got this. He knows his strategy will will work. We have a great line from uh, Bobby Heenan about Jake, which is, again, so sexy. He's the kind of guy that goes bump in the night. Ooh! I don't think anyone is is capable of saying nice things about Jake without them being sexy. Okay, this is the other thing that Bobby Heenan said about Jake in the match. (laughs) He said... I like sunshine, whereas Jake Roberts, he likes smelly swamps and rain. (laughs) Rick Martel finally catches a scoop slam and then fucks up his follow-up elbow as Jake just kind of rolls out of the way. And it's not like Jake is one step ahead. It's just literally like he'll wander to one side and he'll be completely missed. The favorite part of this for for me i think for you as well yeah definitely the claps yeah so jake goes to sit in like one corner of the ring and he starts clapping i'm just like what's he doing and then as soon as he finishes clapping he wanders away and then rick martell wanders over to where jake was standing to clap and it's obviously oh he's using the hitman technique he's thrown a little coin oh what's that (laughs) better go check it out and then jake comes around from behind and boom ddt Puts him into a laundry hamper. Gets the (laughs) (laughs) So Rick Martell grabs the snake by mistake at one point going into the corner. And because no one in the crowd will help him, Bobby Heenan just starts speaking louder and more descriptively on commentary. He's like, oh no, Rick Martell. Jake the Snake Roberts has rolled to the outside and he's near the timekeeper's table now. You should go get him. He's like, shut up, humanoids. The finish was absolutely beautiful in this one. The two of them slowly back to back walking into the ring and all of a sudden, boom, hit each other's back. Jake slips around DDT and then there's a few seconds where he's just like touching around, like literally trying to feel for his glasses in the morning. You know what I'm talking about. And he just gets the hand on the one, two, three. Fucking mass. There's like two bumps. And it's one of my favourite WrestleMania matches ever, I would hazard to say. Yeah, it's so good. And it's even got a weapon. Yeah! It's got the steel chair. Oh, he pulls that chair at one point. He's like, you know, he's swinging the chair and he can't hit anything. He you hits know? like the, the turn post or something. Rick hits the turn post with the steel chair. And like, obviously because he, he thought he was going to hit flesh and he hits something hard, it ricochets back on him and it hurts his hand. So great. Just like little touches like that. I just really like it. It's just like authentic. It's what kind of you'd actually see if they were genuinely blindfolded. It felt like... 
they had did like three or four things in this that were like really like oh you thought about this concept you thought about the mechanics of wrestling and these are four really fun concepts and it feels like barely skimmed the surface here and like the next blindfold match I can think of is like fucking Chris Harris trying to do a moonsault off the top of a cage in TNA wearing a blindfold so I just think there's lots more to be gotten from this I don't trust most wrestlers I don't trust wrestling fans i don't trust most wrestlers i don't trust the wrestling industry or the bookers or the you people like daniel bryan and drew gulag in a blindfold match or something like that you know give me like asuka and yo shirai you know, two people who just know each other well wrestle a similar style and it would be like oh something fun and different i will excel at this i genuinely don't think wwe can pull off a blindfold match ever yeah. again i think they are they they don't have the capability to craft something like that they, they don't, fuck the fans up too much they at this fuck point, the fans up too yeah. much and they don't nurture their own talent enough mm. to empower them to try to do something like that i think AEW or new japan they could probably totally get away with doing a cool blindfold match so what did you give the cool blindfold match star rating please joe four stars loved beautiful, it beautiful really fantastic. fun match and it's the, it's the epitome of wrestling it's it's such a wrestling match it doesn't matter that there's only two moves it's it's professional wrestling. Yeah, honestly, go sh- show us to someone who doesn't watch wrestling. I'd say it actually be real. Like, yeah. hey, someone thinks they know a bit or they've seen a little bit. That's a real, that's a real mind turner. Like, I always say, like, watch it. Like, really watch it. Hmm. You know, a lot of matches sometimes where it's kind of like, ah, Meltzer gave it a bad review in like fucking 1991 or whatever. Or someone said it was bad in a fucking website in 2004 or whatever. You're a fucking grown up. Go watch it for yourself. Honestly, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in this match. I think it got maligned during a time where people were like, "Oh, WWE's a bit cartoony," and then they give you this very, very cartoony match. But that doesn't take away that there's a lot of skill, a lot of work involved. And hey, don't just be jealous because they managed to get the crowd in the palm of their hands and didn't take any bumps. I'm sure there's a lot of people who wish they could do that. Yes, yeah, probably feel a bit spiteful about it. But of course, Jake, as well as putting on matches like this, I think a little bit. Could be taken from you know, saying he puts his hand through the blindfold or whatever. He's kind of spiraling a bit at this point mm. in time. Yeah, you can definitely tell, even though you can't tell, like, he's like really high or drunk or anything like that. He's he not just, thriving though, is he? He has this heaviness behind his eyes, like, slowing down. Like he's got this big burden. Mm. I wonder if how much of it is, like, he says it's. It's honky tonk and the guitar, but I kind of think like, yeah, okay, but that feels like that's chapter one in the book of why you're like this right now in the last year. You know, you had the drinking and the cocaine problems already, and now they've gotten worse with with the trauma of the injury and the that's fiberglass insane. and all that. You it's know? like I think when you're already, you know, when you've grown up with such a large amount of trauma, and like that is just what's normal to you. Like he's been carrying this huge heavy load mm. his entire life. And obviously, you know, he's very successful, skilled, talented, hardworking, ambitious, all this. Only now he's also got like a crippling drug addiction. And And also his body is falling apart and he's getting old and he's not as famous as he maybe hoped he would be. And I just think it's suddenly the burden you're carrying feels a lot heavier. And like Rodori Animal, he says, Jake and my partner Hawk, they were, the word he uses is synonymous with drugs. Hmm. And that saying that in that locker room in the 80s, like we're, like we're talking about literally king size bed covered in cocaine with wrestlers feeding like pigs at a trough. That's where we were at. And to say that, you know, that's everyone from fucking, you know, Roddy Piper and Ric Flair and Bret Hart were in those, those days. And we're saying that Jake and Hawk, like they're, 
they're a different breed entirely. That's scary. It's just, I don't think at the, the really fucking dodgy drugs party, to be known as the person who's somehow synonymous with drugs among his peers, it ain't good. He disappeared for days at a time, yeah. you know? He disappeared for weeks at a time as well at some point. And I think, you know, the blinding storyline, you know, him not having to show up and all that, how much of that is, like, great long-term creative and also, like, how much of it is, well, we can't really rely on Jake to be up here every week now, can yeah. we? Wrestling matches. He talks a little bit now in the documentary about his drinking and he says that he felt pressured to drink at meet and greets which i mean yeah i can completely see that because you want to buy you a drink or buy a drink and also they want the experience of chatting to a wrestler who's not feeling a bit uptight who is a bit loosened yeah. up you know I, I can totally understand why he'd feel pressured, but also he admits himself he wanted to drink. It's yeah. not just a case of, oh, oh, but I don't want to. So ooh, a few social outlets, pressure. You yeah. know, it's why, 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 you know, these folks particularly who had this loner mentality get, get drawn in. It's the fans. It's the, it's the uh, allure of the road, so to speak, but much like all the drugs, you know, it starts off as something you want to do and then it's become something you have to do and it, it becomes much different and much less pleasurable in, the, in that sense. He says that his first drink was when he was 10 years old. Fucking hell. And he also says, my grandfather's an alcoholic, so I should have caught on. Which I think is so harsh to himself. It's so harsh. I mean, he's like, surrounded by peers in wrestling. You hear like people like Kevin Nash who's like, you know, I never did these drugs because, you know, my dad died of a heart attack yeah. at this age. And kind of, you know, there are enough kind of good examples of, of people owning stuff like that mm. that like I think the industry that he's in it doesn't really help a thought, positive thought process when he's talking like but hearing people are dying and then he's like why didn't you take me instead like he's yeah. angry for not dying it kind of he's got he, he's in this point here where people are like, oh he's feeling sorry for himself he's beating himself up I don't think Jake would say this about himself now no you know but again like this oh he's just you know he's beating himself up oh he's just a misery loves company type of guy i think that's a really unfair assessment of him you know it is it's a really unsympathetic way to discuss how someone deals with mental health issues and yeah They're feeling sorry for themselves that's the, that's the verbiage he's you know clearly depressed and it makes it quite difficult in the documentary as well where a lot of this part they pop over to 1996 jake when he did a lot of interviews and stuff for WWE TV about his addiction and such and it's like cutting from 2005 Jake to 1996 Jake and 1996 Jake is talking about how he's all clean and sober and mm. life is worth living and all that now and then you see him in 05 where he's kind of in a place where it's like yeah I don't know if I'll ever be clean or sober again and then look, you know, looking at this in 2020 now where he is clean and sober now it's just it it shows you that Jake himself at least is aware of this of the cycle and he's aware you can't take anything for granted in terms of where he's at. Yeah. You know, that there are there are things in his past and traumas he's suffered that will always attempt to bring him back down. I kind of feel like he'll never have... Like, a lot of alcoholics come to this realisation they'll never have a normal relationship with, with drink or with their family or anything yeah. like that because of just... They can get to a safer, healthier place now, but it will never be the same. It'll never be normal in, in that sense of the word, you know? Yeah. 10 years old fucking hell yeah it's and that's the thing that's why it feels like so bad for him that he like is admonishing himself so harshly for not realizing that that he would be at risk for alcoholism because his grandpa was like i'm sorry no 10 year old should be thinking about that yeah. no 10 year old should have to worry about oh i might be an alcoholic though so i probably shouldn't drink like 
obviously you shouldn't be drinking because you're 10 years old. So like they're invoking people like Road Warrior Hawk and, you know, Kurt Hennig, you know, you know, names who were known to party and kind of passed away and stuff like that. And they talk a lot, you know, Hogan, etc. the head talking heads, they're saying, you know, this is what it was like in the 80s. You know, they don't go into explicit detail of, of what it is. Good thing that's all over though. But like JR said, the only difference with Jake the Snake Roberts and his peers is that he went further. He drank more. He did more drugs, he went out more, he was slightly more unreliable, he went a bit further. And I'm not sure if that's either like a very fair assessment or kind of an unfair dig. It is true in some senses of the words, but I don't think it really explains why he did it. Just like you, you can't say like, the only difference between this guy whose life is really fucked up and these people whose lives are only kind of fucked up is that his life was more fucked up. No, and I think it's a very oversimplification as well to, to make out that's how it happened. I mean, he, he does talk about it in the documentary, kind of how he descended to this place. He said it started off that he wanted to take drugs because he was bored, it was mm. fun, it, you know, made everything a bit more interesting. It was a way to take away some of the pain he was feeling on a day-to-day basis. Then, of course, it becomes a need to take drugs mm. because you need it to cope or to do your job properly. You know, if you want to continue being able to earn a living, yeah. you, that's, you can convince yourself you have to do it. It's yeah. part of my job now. It's when it gets to the third stage that he says it's when he has to take the drugs to both stay alive, but also he has to take them because he feels he has to die. What the fuck type of life is that like? You like, know? as in, if you don't Trapped. take the drugs, you will you will probably die because like your body is just so fucking reliant on them now. But also, you are taking them in the hope that you will you will overdose. Yeah. Like you you know your life isn't worth living anymore, and you just think, well, I don't want to kill myself. I may as well just keep doing what I'm doing, and my body will just give up, and then it's not my fault anymore. And it's weird to think, you know, you can watch Beyond the Mat, and you can be aware, you, know, you see, you see heroes of wrestling or whatever it is, you kind of go, ah, this is happening to Jay kind of later on in his career when he got a bit older. You know, this was happening during the good days, mm. you know, the good old days, the peak of his career, the prime of his career. You know, we were getting to a little bit now about some more of his feuds, him with Andre the Giant, who suffers from ophidiophobia. Always very fun to see Andre the Giant attempt to run away from anything, least of all, a big scary snake. Yeah, sorry, this is like a little bit off topic, but I just have to mention Jake and the colour teal. There are so many instances of Jake wearing like teal leggings yeah. with a snake on, or like here he did an interview in this lovely blue sweater with the earring. Oh, baby. And he's got the snake around him, and it's just. Mm. It's such a good look. I Great love setup. it. I love it. I love it. Okay, we can continue now. There was one time Jake showed up in a fedora and Joe even liked that. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> real amazing performance from Jake. One of his all-time best. And a real scary angle when the horrible earthquake, who's a big, heavy wrestler, who's whole thing that he'd jump around. He's actually one of the only gaijin sumo wrestlers in who to perform in Ryo Goku. So he, he's like legitimate sumo badass. Wow. Stomping around and he does this big earthquake splash on Damien. Of course, there's nothing in the bag. Damien the Snake, however, is kayfabe dead now. And considering that there's no big match or moment where Jake is like, yay, I got my revenge and that'll teach him. He gets a bigger snake or whatever. But like, this is just like, Damien gets killed and he dies and Jake is sad about it. The moment where Jake peeks into the bag, or should I say the moment beforehand where he's too scared to look Mm. in the bag, 
Jesus Christ, I've seen men and women look like fucking glassy-eyed morons when they're meant to be grieving the loss of a partner, a championship, things that are so important to them, real-life stuff that's happened to them, and they're like, it's very sad that this has happened to me. And here's Jake Roberts, probably looking at a bag full of fucking hamburgers or something that's been sat on by a wrestler. And he said himself he never even liked the snake. And he acts like his child is... The closest thing is when Sandman has Tyler taken away from him. He reacts so viscerally. The closest comparison I thought of is... And I I will be careful not to spoil anything. But at the end of the movie 7, when (laughs) Brad Pitt's character looks in the box and he kind of doesn't want to, but then he does, it's the exact same thing yeah. i honestly think deep down i think brad pitt watched this <laughs> and was like that's how i've got to do it what's in the box man what's in the box so fucking good it's so good because he like he kind of wants to look and he really doesn't want to look he's scared he's sad he's hearing the so... audience wail with him yeah you never hear that anymore it's just the way he's so capable of like having all these emotions rolled up into one like i can't think of any wrestlers who are so good at that like is he the most empathetic wrestler that we've seen like just in terms of i'm not saying he himself as a person as a wrestling character to kind of show us emotions that we wouldn't typically see in wrestling i guess yeah i'd say definitely because i think in wrestling most characters are encouraged to be like one emotion like you are associated with anger or sadness or happy or whatever like this is your brand emotion jake does whatever motion is appropriate at the time and maybe a combination of several. Don't you remember what he called it in his Hall of Fame speech that we watched? You were a big fan of his term. Oh, I know, man. We masturbate their emotions. <laughs> make them feel good, make them feel bad, take them up, take them down, spank them on the ass, put them uh, in the corner. <laughs> Cut a promo on me, please. <laughs> now... He comes back with a bigger snake called Lucifer, which is the name he said came to him so easily it made him mad. And I was like any episode of How To where we can kind of like lay a little groundwork for upcoming episodes. Like before we did the AJ Styles episode, I made sure that we included him as often as possible in some of our classic reviews and some of our, as often as possible in some of the matches we've done so you can get used to him as a wrestler. Same with Ric Flair. We've been doing it with Shawn Michaels. And I really liked in this as well that we laid the groundwork that you got to see what a professional wrestler the Ultimate Warrior was. What did you think of this when Jake had to um, ask permission, it seems, to have a feud with the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, so Vince McMahon tells Jake he's going to have a feud with the Ultimate Warrior. Big business. But on the one condition, he has to ask the Ultimate Warrior's permission he asked out permission. And he asked the warrior, and warrior is like, I don't give a shit about you and your fucking problems. You don't show up fucked up. You come to the match ready to work. I don't give a shit about your problems. I just want to earn money. I mean, all right. There's a way to do that in wrestling and be charming, okay? You don't have to... Yeah, but he's a piece of shit, though, isn't he? He's not going to be charming. I mean, what do you know about warrior so far? I know he's homophobic. Yeah? No, he's a piece of shit. That's yeah. all I know. Okay, well, <laughs> he didn't really endear himself here. No. He goes through all this fucking shit with the warrior, having to do all these goofy segments. You watched a few of them in the snake pit, where you can tell Jake, like, it's the one time I've seen Jake where he's like literally like through gritted teeth, like, come on, warrior, we have to go in and learn the power of the snake, motherfucker. I hate this shit. It must be so insulting to him as, like, someone who has put so much thought into this business he like yeah. he has he really cares about character about pacing psychology like the th- 
theoretics behind wrestling, the actual theory of wrestling, he he understands so well. Yeah. He he's put in more thought than anyone. Well, more thought than the Ultimate Warrior. He's the Ultimate Warrior. He's just here for the money. He's wearing some colourful clothes. He's going to punch a guy a couple of times. Like that's it. Where's my paycheck? I'm going to die now. <laughs> that's my input in wrestling. The bad luck seems to come with Jake constantly throughout the career, and it it is something. As well, when it's professional bad luck and personal bad luck, and mm. it's like kind of you know they say you make your own luck, and yes, Jake makes his own luck a lot of times, his personal choices and his professional choices. But there are also these moments where it's just like fuck's sake, like ah yeah. oh, man, I hate, I hate to hear that. He's like three or four months doing this feud with with Warrior. It's first thing after SummerSlam, Jake's going to turn heel on him. They're going to have a big feud. Ultimate Warrior holds up Vince McMahon at SummerSlam for money and then Vince fires him after the main event. So he spent four months preparing this guy and being insulted. For nothing! Way! But don't worry, every cloud has a silver lining. Or in Macho Man Randy Savage's case, every wedding reception has a black cobra hidden inside <laughs> one of the boxes. We're circling back around because we did a little bit about this for Macho Man and Liz. Uh, the snake in the wedding party. What did you think of uh, Jake Roberts here? Do you want him to show up on our wedding day? Be like, the snake. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, okay, good to know. We'll see if he's available. I, mean, I don't know if you'd like that. Jake the Snake Roberts turning up on our wedding night with a snake. Tell you what, someone get him on Cameo, whatever Ooh. it is, right? You know, and see if we can get him to... You can read the wedding vows, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, instead of wedding vows, we could just cut aloof promos to each other instead. Like, <laughs> and how appropriate that the husband you marry is your very own. <laughs> a victim of your own romance. <laughs> He's uh, got a new snake now. It's a cobra. It's... Which he says of it, I love that guy. He says it's much smaller, much lighter, and gets much more respect. Um, yeah. yeah. No shit, because it's a fucking cobra. He has to wear a special black glove oh! when he handles the cobra. Ah, black glove. Long-time listeners of the Smackdown Crawl over the Attitude Podcast Patreon... This is certainly a big piece of the puzzle I had not anticipated. And what a black glove. It was very big as well, wasn't it? It was. Probably the blackest, biggest glove I ever did see. i got to get Adam on the blower. Hang on a second. <laughs> so, of course, I mean, this is the feud we've talked about before with, with Macho Man, which has the cobra biting spot, the one that was absolutely not meant to happen. This was something I talked about with, with Michelle in the, in, the, in the poison lab, in the, in the poison wing of the lab about, you know, why it was so bad like you could see when he was pulling him like the 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 fangs were being kind of pulled out and like Mm. how traumatizing it was for a snake and a snake that has latched on has basically told you i'm traumatized Mm -hmm. like you've 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 done a bad job as a snake handler yeah jake roberts professional wrestler who's kind of going to a bit of a downward spiral in some respects not a snake handler no and thought to give him a cobra now of all times (sighs) in his career yeah it's so after you're showing up too late to work after you have people like Hugo saying, I gotta run away from you because I'm gonna die. Yeah. Because you're you're so fucked up. Give him a cobra, yeah. After the countless occasions as well where he stayed with people or went to certain places or was in hotels and the snakes went missing. Like oh, it's one Jesus. thing it's one thing for a massive boa constrictor to go missing because they're big, they're not gonna bite anyone. I and I think most of the time as well, like they are kind of like trained to an extent. So they're like they're scary, designed to be though. handled. It's very scary, but at least it's not hugely dangerous I mean like, yeah like DDP telling the cute story about like and the Kimberly 
doesn't know where the cobra is, man. Can you believe it? <laughs> but honestly, like, if DDP's not telling a heartwarming story and he's like, you read the facts, it's like a fucking black cobra went yeah. missing in their house. Jake then disappeared for three days yeah. and Kimberly didn't even want him or the snake in the house. That's not a fun time. It's a great yeah. anecdote, but I'm glad I didn't have to live through that shit. And that's the thing, like those massive boa constrictors, like they obviously can escape and stuff, but at least when they're that big, they they're gonna find it hard to hide in a lot of places. It's finally been like the bed springs a lot of the time, you would say. The big yeah. boas would kind of end up coiled up inside there. We had when we had snakes in uni, my housemate's snakes went missing quite a lot, and they would go into the walls and under the carpets. And you know, you know, a couple of feet, three yeah. feet long snakes. They weren't small, but they yeah. weren't big either. And that's the thing. Snakes, they're like cats. They can like get in anywhere. And with this cobra, so dangerous that he has to wear a special leather glove when he's handling it. Also, it's way smaller so it can fit into more holes. Yeah, let's put also, it into a wrestling angle. This <laughs> is genuinely poisonous. Like, that's so scary. Yeah. So this is the kind of the big match from the end of the, the feud. They had an inconclusive contest at Tuesday in Texas. This from Saturday Night's main event in 1992. Macho man Randy Savage is really angry. He's insane with rage. Taking on the sexy Jake the Snake Roberts. The old adage in wrestling that becoming heel makes you immediately far more interesting. And Jake Roberts never needs an excuse to be interesting. But he's been heel and he's been faced. But the rebrand of the the gimmick of trust me. And he's got that dark-sided born. That, that dark-sided theme that still has the breathy in the background do you trust me trust me oh <laughs> but i used to do a segment with billy keeble on the radio where i get read out facts and lies and get him to figure out which one was true and we'd have the trust me music in the background so I'd be like, <laughs> do you trust me billy and then the back you hear jake roberts do you trust me trust me trust me trust me <laughs> i fucking love this. this this jake who just kind of barely waddles out to the ring he doesn't give a shit and it's so disgusting because he's done so many horrible things vince mcmahon can't say that jake roberts walks moves runs he doesn't do any of that anymore he slithers he slithers yeah slithering to the ring look at him jake roberts what kind of a man is he what kind of a man slithers to the ring like this great line in his promo before this match i can be as good as i want to be or as bad everything he says is so heavy it's sopping wet with sex it's he knows the like, sex sells yeah. yeah absolutely and like to think that like i never i never i i i watched before with you joe i watched jake roberts promos almost exclusively in the company of heterosexual men sitting around talking about how great they were how fucking they made us think and all that not at any point like you would when you were watching say like a rock promo or all the vince mcmahon stuff where you're kind of like this is kind of getting a little bit like overtly sexual now. <laughs> or you know like it, it didn't it's subtle yeah you know it's subtle i mean in some i mean it's subtle for wrestling that's the thing you know <laughs> i think of jake roberts he, he doesn't need to speak loudly his words are loud just because you don't hear a lot of these words in wrestling normally you don't hear phrases presented like that you know he's very much a master of making you think things that you probably shouldn't be thinking about during wrestling and it's the fact that he manages to like thread and weave these little comments so consistently throughout his whole career yeah like he just 
all the time he's making you think about me in the dark, me being very naughty, me being a bad man, me being very sexy. Breaking rules, yeah, doing here things I'm, you're meant to. Here sin. I'm in the shower. I've got a sexy snake. Like <laughs> just like every promo he has, it's almost like he's got his little brand guidelines. Like, okay, I have to have at least one thing that's going to make everyone think about having sex with me. Okay. He's never in a single promo I've watched like misspoke. Really? As in like kind of going with, uh, uh, what I meant to say was if he said or misspoke anything you'd never know it because it sounds like a fucking highly edited podcast. Like, like he meant to say every single word. And I, I love that deliberateness, you know? It's the way he speaks so slowly he's probably is just like thinking of what he's going to say pretty much as he's saying it it's like when you you know you see a vulture up in the sky and it's floating around this is a great tom Waits story he's mentioning you see this vulture flying up around in the air and you kind of think oh that's very ominous it's very scary i bet that a vulture is thinking all sorts of nasty things about me but of course the zoologists among us know that they're some of the lightest airiest creatures in the world and because of the winds in those desert environments and all of the feathers they have, they're probably just sitting up there thinking, how the fuck am I going to get down there? Because <laughs> it's going to take me a yeah. long time. And that's probably what, that's the Jake thing as well. It's like, you, he looks and seems intimidating. You don't know that he's probably going, mm, now let me tell you something. You know, it, it just seems like it's deliberate, always. <laughs> and that does take incredible skill. Like it's Eyes. Not, it's not as easy as just talking slowly. You have to be able to also come up with interesting good things to say and i can't think of a more interesting combination of slimy evil soft-spoken jake roberts and insanely raged up macho madness gotta protect liz randy savage what a great pairing these guys are fucking fire and ice i love 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 the intensity yeah so macho man comes out throwing chairs fucking shit up like, there's not much of, like, a chance for Jake to kind of get started and set the pace. He's at the mercy of the Macho Man at the beginning of this match. And he's also taken off his glasses, which you know means business. Because you never see Macho Man's eyes unless he's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's being serious. Yeah, Macho Man literally just alludes to it. He goes, I'm insane! <laughs> <laughs> he does a big, crazy axe handle as he's beating Jake pillar to post. And Jake is like, I love when he's like hit and he's like, he doesn't like to sell in the ring. He like slither out and be like, he wants to suffer in silence away from him and all that. Just like a snake. Yeah, man. Slithering. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he's bleeding already, by the way. Like, and it looks like a hardware. I don't think it's a, it's a blade. Job. Oh yeah. They're like, he's broken the nose of Jake Roberts. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is the old style of wrestling. Broken the nose of Jake Roberts. What's the first thing Macho Man does? He backs him into the corner and he grabs his nose <laughs> and he reels back. And then Jake pokes him in the eye. So, like, that's fucking, that had me, like, wretched, like, you know. <laughs> I'm sure Randy grabbed it safely, but it was just the fact that it was like, uh-oh, he's hurt. Yep. Whoa. Holy crap. Macho Man tries to go for a big old axe handle. He misses and eats a DDT. And when Jake hits that fucking beautiful DDT, and he doesn't cover, he just stands up and basically tells the audience to go fuck themselves. And then he just goes and sits in the corner. He's like, I'm bored of waiting for Macho Man to stand up again now. My DDT is too good. So I've got to sit down here and wait. I think what he was trying to do was that he was so confident in the DDT. I think he thought Macho Man would be counted out like a 10 count, ah, like knocked out. Very, very cool. But like, there is just... So many times where a wrestler does like, I hit the move and then they don't cover and you kind of go, what a fucking idiot. And like, I think Jake found the one way where you kind of think, what a bastard. Just cover him, you <laughs> bastards. He goes for a second DDT, which is avoided. He's sent flying over the top rope and then Jake's throat is targeted. He hits into the rail as Macho Man sails over the top rope. 
we get an exquisite elbow drop where he manages to land the point of the elbow exactly on Jake's throat. And Jake is holding it, literally going, as he's getting the move. And like Randy picks up the win. You have like all of the all the staff all coming. They're like, no, Macho Man, no. And Randy's like, yeah. And they still manage to do another elbow drop through the people onto Jake. The positioning of both men, breathtaking. Yeah. Absolutely breathtaking. And then he goes to get the bell. Is that what you call it? The bell? Yeah, yeah the ring bell. The ring bell. He wants to kill him. He wants but... to kill him. He wants to smash his head open and everyone has to restrain him. And then out comes Elizabeth. Yeah, it's... Um, I know you always say that you get goosebumps when you see Jake making his entrance. Mm. I always get butterflies when I see Elizabeth coming out to that music. It's oh, just something man. so... You can't make i don't know it's just so wonderful you i just yeah it's just great i love it i love elizabeth so much she's just like irreplaceable there's no one like her it's (laughs) one of those rare instances as well in the storyline where it's like kind of someone wronged liz in a very like obvious way like he hit liz you know and they they treat the slap that he does they treat it like you know way more seriously when baron corbin was given the end of days to becky lynch it's treated like this man is heinous he doesn't belong in the company anymore because of it and like when liz and macho embrace at the end it's really sweet uh, you know and i know i've said previously in episodes that like you know i don't like it when men like hit women and stuff and then, then the man comes in and saves the day but like i think it works in this situation because it's elizabeth and she's not a wrestler she is the whole whole character is that she's this a wife who is just here to accompany her husband to the ring she's not involved in stuff she shouldn't be getting physical with anyone like it's not fair on her it is amazing how much more palatable stuff that seems to be in the morally gray area is when the performers are just a lot better yeah you know because i could have said you put a million other people out there and say like you know right you have to hit liz now and then do a feud with macho man and you kind of come away from going why did they hit liz and in that i kind of felt like all right, the players did their jobs. I felt everyone reacted and emoted in a in a realistic way and we were given kind of satisfactory conclusion for 1992. Yeah. You know? And also, I feel like even though they hit Liz, it wasn't like... It wasn't just over the top and like pointless. Like some of the stuff you see later on, like in the late 90s and oh, beyond. Oh, shoved off the top of something. You yeah, know, put through a, a table. table oh, like... she's... And then she's taken away in a stretcher and she's it's... like, she's going to have a fucking miscarriage. Yeah, there's always know? this element of like humiliation or just fucking like, it's just so violent, so needless, so over the top. And you know what? Jake's slap of Elizabeth isn't even that good. It's obviously he doesn't make contact. It's very light, but she sells it. He sells it. Macho Man sells it. The the, the plot around it makes sense. Mm. The characters involved make it's sense. It's actually a shame that they do such a good job here because this is 1992 <laughs> and have Vince McMahon going, oh, all right then. So we can just do we that can all do the this time. Ever. And so you know what? If you've not got Macho Man and specifically Macho Man and Liz, you've got a uniquely complicated relationship and a jake roberts villain like yeah you can't really be doing this and that's why like when it happens very often in the last 10 years it just kind of seems like you know it's kind of like flat you know i like seeing that someone like becky lynch where it's like i think she's meant to be a professional wrestler and all that so you kind of go well it's okay then it's like well no her being laid out and killed by it even if it is a killer move it's just this this set a wrong precedent by being by featuring such good players. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think it's a shame that like we've come now 
so far away from that that I feel I wouldn't even trust WWE to do that again. It would, it would even be too though, complicated. Even though I actually would enjoy to see it. Like, I have nothing... You know, I know I have, I've had my issues with women being, like, hit by male characters and then the men coming to the rescue, but I do think it can work with certain storylines and certain characters. Mm. And I would love to see it done again properly, but I just don't trust them. I just, uh, I just don't think they can do it. I don't think if they can't handle the intergender wrestling nope. issue, they can't handle this, which no is, I think, way. more complicated. But it says a lot, like... And especially you know. as well now that they're actually trying to, like, treat women as serious competitors. Yeah. That's a very complex issue for them to try and have to wrap their heads around. What was your star rating for that one then, Joe? I really enjoyed this match. I gave it four stars out of five. It was just fun and great story work. And you could just, you could watch this without knowing anything about Jake the Snake or anything about Macho Man or Elizabeth. And just, you just immediately understand. It's like, it's traditional. The formula is so... It's almost like a fairy tale. Great thing about going back to watch any Jake Roberts match from a kind of a Saturday Night's main event or a big four pay-per-view from back in the day. You will get your video package explaining the feud. You'll get a great promo from Jake and then you'll get your match. And honestly, by the time the match is starting, you'll have forgotten about whether or not you want to watch a match because <laughs> you'll already have gotten what you came for, really. <laughs> so after this, he's kind of has a moment where he's feuding with The Undertaker because him and Taker have been evil together and then like literally after that match they had a thing where he's like I'm gonna kill her with a chair and then Undertaker stopped him and they're like whose side are you on? Not yours. Cool. It is kind of it's around this point where they're saying that like Vince is like I don't know which Jake I was getting and they were saying like they were really worried about it at this point but they didn't know if he was getting worse or getting better or if the fact that he seemed better meant that he was getting worse. Vince calls him a con artist straight to camera. And rich coming from Vince. I, I mean I don't think Vince has ever straight up said that but he's like Jake Roberts was a con artist. I mean alright. I mean, no more so than you, Vince, and half the people in wrestling. Yeah, literally, you know? it's fucking. Uh, and for him being a con artist was a survival technique. He is, you know, he's he's fucked people over, and he deserves to be reprimanded for that as well. But it's just really sickening to me that Vince can dare use those words about someone like Jake the Snake Roberts mm. when on the very same documentary they have Jerry Lawler oh, talking yeah. about difficult person Jake is with all his demons oh and, we'll, oh, uh, blah blah we'll blah. get to that don't worry so around this time Jake says that he's spending a lot more time taking drugs mm. and he's at the point now where he can't spend time by himself when sober which immediately made me think of Ric Flair and yeah. how he had to be around company all the time but he's less high functioning than Rick at this point though that's the thing I think Rick needs to be surrounded by people whereas Jake needs one person he always needs someone just mm. to distract him from himself and like, I also felt like Rick's you know, drinking and stuff like that was kind of a byproduct of his success. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, Jake's drinking and his problems, it felt very much like, it's not like, oh, I'm famous, therefore this is happening. It feels like you're famous and this other thing is happening anyway. And it felt like the thing got so big that it started impacting on his actual career and his ability. Yeah. And, look, we literally just, a few moments ago, Jake and others were talking about what a piece of shit Ultimate Warrior was for doing the unspeakable thing in wrestling of holding someone up for money. But... He does hold Vince McMahon up at WrestleMania as well. I yeah, think it's cool when he does it. It's when different. Vince McMahon, if you hold him up, you are the devil. Like that is like literally the worst thing you can do. And I think that's why when like Vince literally is saying con artist, he means this bit here. So he knows he's going away from WWE. He knows that there's new new talent coming in. He's going to be used to put over people like The Undertaker and stuff like that. He's fine with it. Over in WCW, where his dad is still a contact. He's got a new contract, which will literally have him set for life. They say, come to WCW, your SLS dates. It's before Bischoff and all that. So, you know, wouldn't have been a lot of house show business. It would have been easy money for him. He's going to be making seven figures 
according to Jake anyway. And he says to Vince, I will e- happily go out and do business and lose to The Undertaker at WrestleMania and all that jazz. You know, put him over, but you need to give me my release. And if you don't give me my release, I'm not going out to perform. So he held up Vince. Not for Vince's money. He held up Vince for a release so he could get Turner's money. But he still held up Vince. And that is why he is always going to have an asterisk. More so than the drugs, the trauma, the abuse that he inflicted and the abuse that he suffered. Oh, no, that wouldn't matter More so than any of those things, the fact that he held up Vince McMahon is the number one thing that would be in the naughty books for him for years to come. And I do think that says a lot because they speak about this in the same breath as like Jake nearly overdosing. You know, they speak of this in the same breath and the same tone as like, you know, the shit that happened in his childhood. All right, Vince, get over it. Wrestlers held you up for money. It is a shitty thing to do, but it is by no means an equivalent. Yeah, also, how many fucking times have you done that to wrestlers? <laughs> oh, that, sorry, literally more times than you've had steak wraps. Uh, sorry, uh, Fred, we have to restructure your 20-year deal. What I'd like to do is hold you up so you can get me out of this contract that I no longer <laughs> want to be in. Oh, no, it's completely different when I do it, you see, because I'm Vince McMahon. So he thinks he's going to be set up for life. And of course what happens is, you know, he has his match with Undertaker, puts Undertaker over. I always feel like that was an important moment, even though Jake looks like he's kind of struggling a bit in the match. He's just not there 100%. It's always weird to see someone like Undertaker and Jake Roberts. Those two people wrestling is very much like a one generation in the next. Yeah. If you're a wrestler who finds yourself in a position where it's like, oh, it's a bit weird you're wrestling them. It means you've helped the next generation. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> by hook or by crook. What happens? Shows up at WCW, meant to be getting $3.5 million a year, set for life, three-year deal. Bill Watts is now in charge instead. How the fuck am I meant to make money out of you? Rips up the contract, 200000 a year instead. Why does he do that? I don't understand. Because he doesn't think Jake Roberts is worth $3.5 million a year. But then why was he originally offered $3.5 million? Because someone else was in charge before Bill Watts. This is on you know, WCW before Bischoff took over. It was like, this guy's a wrestling guy. He'll be able to run things. Oh no, he can't run things. This guy's a pizza hut guy. He'll run things. Oh no, he can't run things. This is another wrestling guy. He'll. So within a period of two years, there was like several people who were in charge. And yeah, it was the same thing happened with Ric Flair. Remember Rick was yeah. there to come back big money and Ole Anderson said, you lost to Mr. Perfect on TV. What are you worth? Ripped up, you know? So it's just... It's, there's no winning, I guess, it feels like, for Jake. I mean, and again, it's his, his version of events. I'm sure someone in WCW was like, he was never going to get three, 3.5 million does seem like way more. Huge amount. Like, I yeah. don't think anyone would be giving him that money, to be honest. Whoever offered him that money was obviously not in a position to actually be able to offer him that money. But, and that's the most wrestling thing yeah. you'll ever hear. <laughs> 200,000, though, a year for someone like Jake Roberts, who is literally entering into like his, his twilight years. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. They debut him in WCW and they use him to try and get over a man called Sting. It's a man called Sting. Yeah, he does a bit of this. He does a bit of that. He can spin a wheel. He can make a deal. It's a man called Sting. He can wear a hat. <laughs> and I think he can uh, meow like a cat as well. Yeah. That's I did show you some of these just so you can see that not everything Jake Roberts has done in his career was great. But uh, the cinematic segments, spin a wheel, make a deal, WCW... What did you think of that? Sting showed up to the uh, the dark-sided bar where all the baddies were with Jake Roberts. Oh, it was so funny. I, I really liked that. It reminded me of... There was a really great ad for one of the 2K games a couple of years ago. Where Downtown, they were all, was this? Yeah. yeah. But they're all in a bar and everyone met everyone else. That was a Paul Heyman production. Thank you very much, madam. <laughs> so good. And it reminded me of that, only it wasn't as good as that. Yeah. 
But this is like, it's it's a cool idea. I like the idea of Jake being like the leader of a gang of yeah. kind of underground misfits. But him reading out someone writing their best Jake Roberts fan fiction promo is, <laughs> is, 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 is dodgy. JR is like, I don't know why he didn't become a bigger star. He had a great match with Sting. You know, it was a bit hokey, the stipulation at a coal miner's glove. We could have used him. You know, we didn't have a lot of top guys. Um, I think it's simply a case that he had issues with people. He had burned bridges unknowingly. Mm. Or I think it was just the case, even if he hadn't burned a bridge, the bridge had been preemptively burned by people talking that he's unreliable. I mean, if you're showing up to WCW and you're coming from Vince and it's like, oh, there's all these rumors that you show up drunk and you don't show up for a few days. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably not going to put a lot of faith in you. I don't really blame them for not going with them. And... I think it's important to mention as well because it's wrestling that part of the whole wrestling industry is being one of the boys. Yeah. Jake was never one of the boys. He's always mm. been an outcast and a loner. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like some of the instances of like Shawn Michaels and people who were taking all these drugs and like partying with the boys. He was taking these drugs on his own yeah. or with one other person. He was boys adjacent at best. Yeah. You know? It's it's take the, the, the kind of loner aspect of Brett's career and then you put it in, like, except there's drinking and drugs yeah. and such. It's kind of like what Austin was like during when he was fucking spiraling and his life was falling apart. It's a bad mix. Yeah. It's a real fucking bad mix. He's basically told by his wife, me or wrestling. She says it was getting to the point where she, whenever he was staying at home with them, she'd have to stay up all night because he would he would throw up in his sleep and she'd have to literally fish vomit out from his throat with her fingers she'd have to like oh my god like literally save his life on like a a nightly basis i can't even begin to imagine how traumatizing that would be to be so fearful of your Mm. loved one just dying and there's nothing you can do and you just oh my god it's so scary so yeah he he's given the ultimatum and bless him he he chooses his wife even though he makes it very clear throughout all these documentaries how much he loves wrestling it's like it's the thing that gives him a sense of control in his life yeah it was you know he he, in his hall of fame speech he you know phrases it as like i made the mistake of falling in love with a woman called wrestling and she's like she won't let you cheat on her with anyone you know like it's it it is uh again one of those nice like oh that's a good turn of phrase therefore you're absolved of all wrongdoing but like it does it does really well describe the kind of addictive nature of the business which is why less than four years later 1996 royal rumble comes along and here's jake the snake roberts looking older a bit sadder but by his and this is something which the documentary is very vague on he's come back born again here at this point and I'll tell you, Jake the Snake Roberts is many things at the moment in 2020, and I don't think he is a practicing born-again evangelical Christian. I kind of feel I'm a bit tainted by this because I always remember really, really vividly reading McFoley's book when I'm younger and Mick telling the story, like literally from this time period where they're all in the car together, and Mick is like, Wow, Jake, like I'm really impressed. Like I've I have i have idolized you for so long, and like I was so worried for you, and seeing you like this is like is so heartwarming. And like Jake literally having a drink going, Yeah, what a fucking stupid gimmick. Like, <laughs> like literally saying, I'm doing this just because it's a gimmick. Yeah. And like to be the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed person who assumes that Jake is doing better than he is, and then just be like, boom, fuck off. No, I'm not. Like I had that experience with him a little bit. When I saw Jake the Snake Roberts at a fan convention at WrestleMania 25. I had heard that he was doing well and that he was, you know, on an uptick and, you know, life was going out better for him and all that because I'd followed him on MySpace and all that. And then I showed up and I'm like, wow, Jake, you're looking well. And he smelled really strongly of liquor. Yeah. He looked like he'd been up all night Mm. and he, like, literally after five seconds, he left and then came back. 
And he was like, where the fuck are you come from, man? I'm like, oh, I've come from Ireland. And he said, you came for this fucking shit all the way from Ireland? What a weird fucking piece of shit you are, man. And I got my picture with him and I walked away and I thought, I don't really like Jake the Snake Roberts as much at the moment. And it's just kind of like, there is this feeling that happened around the late 90s of being let down by Jake and it's the same feeling I think that the guy who's making the Beyond the Mat documentary tries to come across that he grew up loving Jake and he felt personally let down by them and I do think when you look at someone whose traumas are so complex that you know that's the first time I've told that story in all that detail and I need to say to myself like get beyond the fact that like, I don't give a shit you know I've mm-hmm. met millions of wrestlers they've been way ruder to me than that you yeah know? Terry Funk was more rude than that <laughs> exactly and Terry Funk has meant a lot more to me and was a lot more short with me it made me feel a lot more <laughs> of an asshole but I was an asshole in that instance and I thought I needed to be told that that's fine <laughs> but just just because you had a bad experience with Jake or you'd heard a bad story about Jake it doesn't mean that he is not entitled to try and make him something better of himself mm. this really heavy handed coming back you know the snake is called revelations now the promos about the bible i mean how did that gel with you it just seemed like a character gimmick and it was weird because as i was only saying earlier in this episode he's so consistent it's just so unnecessary it's like i don't this just seems like what you do to anyone else like oh yeah they've come back and they're a born again christian sure whatever but like why would you do it because vince mcmahon is like i'm a firm believer in whatever helps you battle your personal demons and if that is um religion quite frankly then i'm a firm believer in um in religion it's basically saying like this is way to prove to vince i'm okay now and like i i i think it's like if you're a proper fuck if you take your christianity seriously there's probably nothing more insulting than that. I imagine that is a lot more insulting than Austin 316. And like, did you know that the Austin 316 promo was really kind of in reference to the fact that it's, it's meant to be, you know, Jake Roberts, no. all of his Christian stuff. No, I had absolutely no idea about yeah. that. No. Jake's meant to be the comeback kid full of Christianity and God and young Steve Austin just beats the shit out of him, stunners him twice. One, two, three. You talk about your Psalms and your John 316. Austin 316 says, I whipped your ass. And he says, you sit there and you thump your Bible and it didn't get you anything. And I always wondered in the back of my mind, did Austin do that knowing full well? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do this because I know it's just a gimmick. Yeah. Like if it was actually the thing that was holding you from the abyss, your Christianity, I don't think Austin would be like, you thump your Bible like a fucking idiot and you're a piece of shit. John 316, give me a break. I don't think he would have done that unless Austin knew. It's a gimmick. Yeah. And they're like, there's a bit where Gene's like, some questioned his sincerity. That's all they allude to. I just think, and maybe I'm giving Jake too much credit and I'm too cynical about Vince. You work it himself, do you think? I think it was Vince's idea. Really? I think Vince said, this is how we can get you back on. We can convince everyone you're a changed man. He said it was like a mar- Vince said it's a marketing thing. It's exactly. like, you know, everyone knows someone, he says, who's, who's been through a drinking or um, the problems of that nature, quite frankly. He said it was empowering for people to see that character react the way he did. I just think... I. I just don't think Jake, being the thoughtful man he is, who gets, he feels so guilty about so many parts of his life, and he's such he's such an obvious overthinker as well. Yeah, you can right. just tell in his spare time he frets and frets and worries and worries. And I just don't see someone who puts as much thought and care into his promos and his character to go, yeah, I'll just fucking lie and say I'm a born again Christian. That's yeah. funny. That seems really lazy and a, out of character for him. A part of it is, is kind of 
working himself a little bit, maybe. A part of it is that. But the one thing I will say is if you think Jake Robert never was afflicted by laziness, I mean, he was most certainly... I mean, there's work smart and not hard. I get that. But I would say there's a lot of wrestlers and peers who would just say he was straight up lazy at points. And I'm not denying that he's not lazy. I think laziness is actually part of his whole style. Mm. I think it's part of the reason why he is this psychological wrestler. Right. Because he's a bit lazy yeah, and yeah. he works smart. But it's just, I don't think he's ever lazy when it comes to his character. Mm. Like, or at least I can't think of any other instance, like, to this day. Yeah, yeah. Where it's been, like, his idea. He'd be a little bit more protective of it, you would imagine. Yeah, and, because yeah. it's it's partly him. Like, all of his character stages seem to be based off of him. Yeah. Except for this. Well, alarm bells were ringing when they announced that his next feud is going to be with Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, Jesus. And according to Jake, like, you know, he, he was saying... I wasn't really vetted on this. They said that Jerry's going to be feuding with me. Like, it, Jerry said, it just started on commentary. I just started making jokes about it. You know, about, you know, hey, where's your tag team partner, Jack Daniels? Or, you know, things like, Jake doesn't drink and drive anymore because he's worried if he'll speed bump, he'll spill his drink. <laughs> and like, all right, King's the heel, and he does the heel comments and stuff like that. But then they turn into a feud. And Vince is like, look, it'll be empowering for people to see someone being tormented by someone who doesn't understand the intricacies of alcoholism and how it destroys lives for that person to overcome that that trauma and whatnot. Vince is like, it was cool. And Jerry Lawler is like, we all talked about it beforehand and it was cool. And then they cut to Vince and it's like, not only was it cool, it was cool and super brave. And then it's Jake Roberts going, it was not cool. Uh, Jerry Lawler poured a full bottle of actual whiskey over me and it burned my eyes and stinged every part of my face. Like, can you imagine how horrible that is? Real whiskey? Yeah. No, I genuinely can't imagine because like... It's dangerous. It'll blind you for fuck's sake. Like the first thing that I thought of was like, okay, what's what's it like when like swimming water gets in your eyes or like gets in your throat or gets up your nose? I got perfume in my eyes once when I was a kid and I was like fucking absolutely i was for days it was i was in my eyes like like, it's not just going to sting your eyes it's also sticky and it's fumy so like when you breathe it will just like get into your head it will make you feel sick and dizzy strong alcohol is literally poison you know yeah in your your eyes which is one of the most sensitive parts it's just come on fuck off so yeah like they say it's cool and brave and it's literally like jerry lawler like making all these drinking jokes like he did lose he lost a match against jerry he did a match with him where he beat him in like 10 seconds you know jerry turned around ha ha and he got ddt and he lost okay but jerry did beat him at one point and i kind of feel like the feud is so unnecessary like if you're not gonna let the fucking the born again christian who suffered through alcoholism like thoroughly beat jerry lawler and have the last word and it's jerry just made fun of him and it kind of feels like beating someone after they've made fun of you so long People don't remember that Jerry got beat. They remember Jerry making funny jokes about his alcoholism. But I mean, does that if you're already doubting your own commitment to this, I mean, Jake's saying that they're pulling ribs on him backstage. Yeah, This ribs. is, fuck this, right? 1996, this is meant to be in a roster is not the fucking wild roster it was in the 80s. We've all grown up a little bit, have we? And this, uh, yeah, okay. So I, I want to say as well, Jake, he's a... Uh... You know, very capable, clever. Okay, yes, he's a drug addict at this point and got alcoholism, but he's, mm. you know, he's a he's a powerful, wealthy-ish white man who is respected in his industry and the way they treated him. I just think it's really important to mention because if that's how they treated him, 
just think of how they treated other people. Yeah, right. In, I mean, like, well, went to all the fucking handshakes and shit yeah. like that. What's this? They literally the respect. He, he said he'd go down and he'd drink his 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 coke or whatever, and they put fucking vodka or whiskey in. They literally drug drug his drink. Drug him. That's how is that a prank? How is that what, a rib? What's the joke there? Ah, we poisoned an alcoholic. But like, if the joke is like, we don't believe you, Jake. You're this is all a gimmick that you're putting on. But like, but if, they do. They obviously believe it. They obviously know he's an alcoholic. They've all seen him descend into like even this if point. He's, if, even if he is just gimmick, Jake, and you're not like born again Christian alcoholic who no longer drinks, you're just an alcoholic who's pretending to be born again Christian who drinks. That's still bad. Yeah, you're still fucking with a guy and putting drink in there when he's meant to be working and just. You know, I mean, it was very telling in the match, the clips that they show of him wrestling Jerry Lawler, that there were empty seats in the yeah. arena. Like, that was very, very much so. It's things like the wrestlers saying, being like, oh, don't be a pussy, have one drink. Or just, just have a drink, Jake. It's like in just The Sopranos, yeah. when Christopher tries to give a drink in. They're like, how, they're like, oh, we support you. And then they're having their dinner. And like, you're not, you're not going to drink wine? What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, fucking have a glass of Oh, I'm not like to enjoy myself now because you're not going to have a drink. All right, Absolutely fine. Absolutely hate it. On the Jerry Lawler thing, I mentioned it a bit earlier. I want to talk about it now. But Jerry Lawler allegedly raped a child yeah now how come jerry lawler is allowed to be the one to cast stones and go look at him he's an alcoholic he got a dui it's the same reason he's like saying they don't they don't recognize what you've just said because like i'm not saying that i want them to make jokes about jerry lawler being a fucking rapist i just think it's so so disgusting i mean that's what makes it harder for for if you're jake or anyone who's receiving like kind of you know, supposedly agreed upon abuse yeah. like that. And but, it's just yeah. the fact that, like, that Jake's the one is seen as being, like, ooh, the troubled one who's, like, fucked it all up. And people like fucking Jerry Lawler are allowed to still have jobs in the WWE. Well, whatever about, like, you know, you could say in the 80s, was it Jake's fault? Was it their fault? What happened to him in the 90s? Even if, like, Jake's coming and going, I'm going to pretend to be a born-again Christian. Even if that was his, his M.O., they are responsible for the yeah. Jake that comes out at the end because he's winding down. They have him earmarked for coaching and mentoring and maybe a role in creative, but like much like Scott Hall, who says constantly, I'd love to do that more than anything. Can't make the transition because you're, you know, if you want to do creative in 1986, you have to live in Connecticut. Those meetings until 5am with Vince McMahon, a thousand miles away. There's a wife who's pregnant and divorcing him. And he says, this is what sent him off the deep end. He leaves WWE. He's divorced wife's pregnant, isn't going to get to see the child, all the issues with the previous children. This is then the Jake that you see in Heroes of Wrestling and Beyond the Mat, you know? They have a moment in the documentary where it feels like this is why they got Jake to agree to it, which is, you can say your piece about Beyond the Mat and we'll back you up. So this is kind of like, it feels like they're, everything bad they say about Jake here, they think it's a make good because you've got like, you know, Bruce Pitcher going, well, I think that, you know, reading off cue card beyond the mat was a very poor portrayal of Jake Roberts and it was showing him to be not the man that I know him to be. Do you know what Jake's main issue with beyond the mat is? What he claims is the big kind of wrong that they did by him. Yes, they say so in this documentary. So he claims that when he was approached about the documentary process, that it would be about wrestlers dealing with like drug addiction mm. and stuff like that. So he was encouraged to talk about his childhood, his past trauma, you know, how that's impacted his career and his mental health. So basically it's the classic case of like most people who end up on, you know, gotcha style reality shows and or hidden camera things is that they feel that they were lied to or manipulated or missold on the content and all that. He places a lot of blame at Terry Funk, which I was very surprised to hear. He was like, you know, supposed friend Terry Funk got me in here. And I can easily see, 
I can easily see Terry, because I know Terry and Mick were quite involved with, with Barry, the guy who made it. And I can easily see them kind of go, what do you need? And him go, well, I want kind of, I want some young up-and-comers. I want maybe an indie guy. I want kind of a real fuck-up as well, like a real kind of sad case, like you know, a real like horror story or kind of like a warning story. And they're like, we'll get Jake, you know. And I can see, like, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I can see how Jake could convince himself, you know, all my peers gathered around and were like, oh, we're making a movie. Well, Jake's really fucked up. Let's go and get him. And I kind of feel, yeah, Jake was maybe very vulnerable in this position. But the number one thing I always will have about Jake and his criticism of Beyond the Mat is like, to this day, I have not watched it. I'm like, you gotta watch it, man. Yes. Like, I know it's hard. I know it's impossible. It's more hard than anything I could ever fathom. But like, you were saying to me that you think that like he'd get a lot from it. Like, I think you would, yeah. Because he's made so much progress. How could you not, you know? He comes across, I think, really sympathetic and beyond the mat. I, I think, I know I said that not the first time I watched it, I didn't feel very sorry for him. But like, now that I've learned a bit more about him, I actually And wrestling think, as a and, whole. Yeah, and wrestling. I think he does come across quite sympathetically. Other than the bit where they have him in the blue light where they're like, yeah. Jake Roberts is a drug addict. He doesn't even know how many drugs he's taken. Other than that, I think like, particularly the bits of the father we talked about, I think they spent a long time explaining why he was successful in wrestling, you know, and yeah. why he's like a phenom of his own sort. But I guess, I mean, I find it hard, you know, when I'm on podcasts like other podcasts, I hardly ever listen to them back because I find it really, it makes me really anxious. Yes, and I know Sam's never listened to an episode of Cinema Swirl all the way through. Really? Yeah, he can happily tell you that. Like, he, just, he finds it weird, you know? And that's the thing. Like, some people just don't like doing it. So yeah, I mean, I, I can understand like a slight anxiety about seeing yourself back in a very kind of personal situation. You know, he's talking about something very deeply personal mm. to him. And I think that would probably make you feel a bit weird about it. And then the fact that his dad's there as well. And the fact that everyone in this documentary talking about Beyond the Mat makes out as though he's this, like, everyone says about how he's just pathetic and how, yeah. oh, Beyond the Mat made him look weak and stupid. It's fucking rich having lazy. Jerry Lawler yeah. going, there was nothing positive of a portrayal when he was at the quads. Why are you talking? Come yeah. on. Now. Like, they do make that effort. It is schlocky, okay? It is. It definitely is. Beyond the Mat is is not necessarily a masterpiece in filmmaking for, for many reasons. And it is a bit schlocky. It was made in the, the late 90s. Like, we have to hold that to account for fuck's sake. But, like... To say that it, it's it's so not helpful for Jake because I think Jake at this point in time it seems to have convinced himself that like the problems really started with Beyond the Mat. Mm. That's when I was known to be a fuck up, and that's when things got hard. You know, you watched Beyond the Mat. You've all these interviews with indie promoters who are like he's been impossible to work with for years. Like you know, it's the reality. Them saying like that it is unequivocally just a negative, 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 negative betrayal. I hate that. It's so political and it's the fact that they say it's pathetic yeah they say he seems pathetic and i just think that just says a huge amount about a lot of wrestlers and not just wrestlers i think people in general who are unable to tell the difference between someone coming across sympathetically and someone coming across pathetically yeah they see someone who is opening up about themselves oh, being honest and being you know, someone who they actually are feeling then sympathy for and they're going, oh, this is weird and repulsive to me. This is pathetic. Instead, just, Vince McMahon yeah. naked from the waist down with a big steak going, what is this sympathy you speak of? <laughs> yeah, it sounds gay. Yeah, they don't understand what sympathetic feelings are. They don't, like, don't have them. Sympathy is how Jake's entire career worked. You yeah. know, it's through, through those emotions that you don't see typically in wrestling. Like, I know a big part of his recovery and a lot of stuff they touched on in, in The Resurrection is just like not just blaming stuff and saying this is the fault 
this is that like you can feel bad about your portrayals and kind of but realize that you're powerless over changing the past like that stuff is out there and you know it's that kind of like vague like positive energy bro stuff that works fucking wonders with ex-wrestlers you know yeah one thing i didn't quite understand they that he mentions is that he wasn't invited to the premiere yeah beyond the map why not i think they knew they'd done wrong by him you know, or but again, again, is this is this Barry Blouse seeing the director going, "Don't invite him"? Is that the movie company going, "No, actually, we don't want to maybe bring the person who is currently serving jail time and has multiple drug offenses. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't invite him to premiere." Is it Terry Funk and Mick Foley going, "If you ask me, you wouldn't want to invite him to the premiere. It might get ugly." Or you know, like I, he wasn't invited to premiere. Is that bad? Yes, but like obviously that will just tell you that they had already established at that point that they knew he wasn't going to like the portrayal. That's right. that's what I reckon to at least. So I think what you know, them kind of going, that portrayal's pathetic. That's really pathetic. Oh, that was so pathetic what they did. I didn't like what they did. You know, then afterwards there was a bit here that I thought, actually, lads, this is kind of pathetic. Because there's a bit where they talk about his RSPCA trouble when he moved to the UK. And then he also got arrested on drug possession in the UK as well. And the story they stick together and they stitch up with Jake Roberts going, I was in this hotel and like it wasn't my hotel. And then a guy came over and I kind of knew him, but I didn't. But there was a bag left there. And he said, look after my bag. And I went away for a week. And then I came back and the bag was still there, man. And they came in. It wasn't even my hotel room. That's pathetic. All right. The fucking backward leaps in gymnastics and you including that in a documentary for him to talk about like a drug charge that he had gotten six months prior. That's pathetic. Mm. Because that's like showing that you're literally just spinning plates trying to maintain this kind of illusion that everything's okay right now. Yeah. And like watching that documentary at the time I got this on DVD when it came out and that bit at the end I remember just kind of going we're ended on that like? And like look the betrayal of Jake as we're getting into like them wrapping it up here they're very mixed on what his legacy is. They temper every bit of praise with their weighty criticism. They're fucking mixed up about the whole thing. There's a line in this documentary about Beyond the Map where they say, I can't remember who it was who said it may have been Vince, it was a lousy portrayal of the then underbelly of the industry. Then! Such a then. fucking like hand waving. Oh, but not anymore. Would you fucking get out of there? I know. Jesus Christ, you thought that's an underbelly? Yeah. Have you seen 2020? <laughs> have, you had, have you had a fucking look yeah. at that, lads? Oh, and no, a good thing wrestling doesn't have an underbelly anymore. Fucking hell. You know, at least about that underbelly, at least we knew there was an underbelly back then. It was fucking news to half the yeah. world there was an underbelly in 2020. I mean... Jake's story is such a hard one to tell and it's only one I feel comfortable in now. There's Every time I kind of get a bit upset and whatnot and I don't want to say about any happy endings and all that. It's I'm sure it's a fight every day and I used to follow Jake's struggles very closely on DDP's blog and the YouTube documentary series and all that footage became the resurrection of Jake Roberts and I stopped like just around the time we started doing the Atiara podcast just because there was one weekend where it's like they did a video and it was DDP going... Jake's not showing up, man. I don't know what's going on. We got to go to the airport and find out. And I was like, wait, what? And all weekend, there was no video. And all weekend, I was stressed out. I remember this. I was depressed. And I was really, 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 really not in a good mood. This is like, like not even, this might even be before I watched wrestling. Like, I think that's why. One of the first times I first met you. Yeah, I think that's why you showed me Beyond the Map. Because I was like, I don't know who this guy is that you care so much about. But I was just like, I stopped because I was like, I can't go on this roller coaster ride with you. Like, I, I can't have every day wondering whether or not you're going to be okay or not. I've had to kind of, in the nicest way possible, by becoming a bigger fan of his, I had to kind of just wash my hands a little bit about my investment in his personal happiness. And I think it's important to note as well that like, when this was happening, 
There were so many deaths of wrestling. This was the lone fucking bit. Like DDP changed the, the narrative from who's dead this week yeah. to who might get helped. And you know there was DDP, there was Scott Hall, there was you know hey he even helped Mick Foley, Chris, Chris Jericho. Jericho. There AJ was a lot, Styles. a lot of names, a lot of names. Yeah. You know even reached people like Stevie Richards who didn't have a role in wrestling anymore, and all of a sudden they get to have a role in DDP yoga. And you know we look, we did a whole episode about DDP. We don't want to spend ages talking about it, but. He's a weirdo. He's an odd man. And he mightn't agree with everything he does. And even Jake Roberts in his Hall of Fame, he's like, he's the most annoying son of a bitch. Oh, have you ever thought of Have you ever had a fucking bad day, Dally? You ever have a bad day? Well, actually, if you think about it from a certain point of view. And, you know. And, like, that's where I'm at with it. Like let, like, let Dallas Page worry about Jake Roberts and his family. I'm really happy for him. Yeah. You know, I am very happy for them. I, I celebrate their achievements and their progress and what they've built together. You know? I mean... Is it one of the happier stories in wrestling, do you think? You know, where does it rank up there in terms of, like, are we allowed to say happy endings in wrestling? How is Jake Roberts in 2020, in your estimation? What is his kind of standing in wrestling for you as a a newer fan? I felt, because at the end, this documentary, filmed in 2005, on a real high note, they try and make it out to be like, ah, happy ending for Jake, it's all great now. And... Obviously, we know that after that came the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. And then you know, after that, again, he was signed with AEW, which is where he's currently working today. Yeah. And until he made his recent return to AEW, I thought he was kind of like, okay, you know, at least he was like in physical good health. Doing some podcasts and yeah. stuff like that. You know. Yeah, seems to have a good friendship group, like good support system. I will say the Hall of Fame speech. I would never. I don't think I've ever reset this before. Like, kind of go out of your way for that Hall of Fame speech. It's it's a it's a real entertaining piece. It made me cry. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How about that? That's amazing. So fucking touching. I yeah, just oh, and yeah. I didn't think he was necessarily doing great, but I thought he was doing better than he was. And mm. I think you know that, as you say, you you can't put too much inherent value in like the success or happy ending of a wrestler because you don't know and I think with these things you can't know until it's done when these moments are happening just like celebrate them yeah. you know I think every time I see Jake and AEW TV I'm like fucking I'm delighted like yeah. I'm really happy because he gets to play again <laughs> and I know when we were watching this particular documentary you actually wanted to skip past the last 10 minutes you're like oh and then they do this like whole cheery oh and everything's fine when now when it's clearly not like... when it's clearly not and I was actually like no I want to see it because it's all too easy for us to do that exact same thing now mm. when we don't know what the future holds. So let's watch it. Let's learn from it. Mm. And yeah, he has this one line, which I thought was really important. And we don't know with how he's going to get on in the future. Drug addiction, trauma, mental health issues. They can stay with you for all your life. Yeah, that's true. But he says in this documentary, I'm not happy about where I've been. But I'm excited about where I'm going. Fucking hell. And I think that's the most important thing. Like, yeah, okay, he's had some ups and downs. He's hit rock bottom a few times. And, you know, God forbid, maybe he will again. But It doesn't make you a sucker to hope for the best. Exactly, You know, like, don't become that jaded wrestling fan. Don't become the jaded wrestling fan who treats people's personal growth with the same disdain as you do booking for fucking Smackdown or whatever. You know, They're, they're people. I think... This episode has been a really fascinating look at a really fascinating person. And once again, it's very strong evidence for the the theory that seems to pop up very often is that wrestling doesn't necessarily make these people 
but it certainly draws them in in a really, really strong way. Yeah. And with that being said, let's delve into your tweets and your Facebook messages about Jake the Snake Roberts. Here we are at WrestleMania, and it's the biggest match of your life. Why? Because everything you stand for is on the line. Oh yeah, the million dollar belt. You can get it back. See, all you have to do is go through Damien and me. But you see, Damien and I, we don't forget. We remember you making people grovel for money. These were people who could use your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. These were people who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You humiliated them. You humbled them. And you made them beg. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DBRC. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one who's humiliated. This time, you'll be the one who's humbled. And this time, you'll be the one groveling for the money. And how appropriate that the money you grovel for will be your very own. A victim of your own greed. Wallowing in the muck of avarice. And we're back. Had a little break between the main bit and the tweets bit. Unlike last time we did this, there has been a massive, huge, uncovered movement about finding all the horrible stuff in wrestling, which makes it easier. But we've just been enjoying more Jake Roberts promos and such. Have you enjoyed your, your time with Jake? Obviously a interesting, different figure in wrestling in many respects, but you had a good time? I had a really good time. I'm sad it's over. I've uh, really enjoyed this episode. Why is it about Jake that you've liked so much then? What have been your favourite takeaways now, having a bit of time to dwell on Jake? He's really sexy. <laughs> and I just think, I just think that's important. Yeah. <laughs> well, finally, we've come across a sexy man in the world of wrestling. It only took us <laughs> five years or thereabouts. Let's get into some of your tweets using the hashtag HowToJakeRoberts. We only noticed late, unfortunately, there wasn't a Facebook post went up. That was an error on behalf of our scheduling software. So very, very sorry. If in future you ever notice something like that, please let us know. We would have liked for you to get a chance to get your Facebook messages up there. But there's always next time. So what do we got here, Joe? First up on Twitter from Oni Spumoni. Jake was my very first fave. Seeing how upset my grandma and grandpa got watching him, it fully clicked with me as a kid what a good heel was. <laughs> Jake is a top-down designed talent. Everything is methodical, purposeful, and deadly. Just like the title. I love him. Oh, man. I, did, that's I don't know if we spent enough time talking about was the fact that he had that moniker of the snake long before Vince gave him the, the actual snake because he wrestled like a snake. Because <laughs> Randy Orton tries to wrestle like a snake. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> Randy Orton is not snakish at all. Randy Orton is like a shark or something. Oh, I don't know, Joe. I've seen sometimes, you know, I used to, to work in the, the reptiles lab in the University of Lincoln, right? And you go in there sometimes and a snake, it would just jump out of it, jump out of its, if its vivarium, it'd pick someone up and backdrop them onto the announce table over and over again. They're vicious, these snakes. Yeah. Particularly the vi Maybe it's because Randy's a viper, not a regular mm. snake. They're prone to that kind of uh, furniture destruction. <laughs> Next up from Barely Sushi. He was before my time watching, but I met him a couple of years ago at a convention. And by met, I mean we collided as I was going into the bathroom as he was leaving. 
He's still an incredibly intimidating guy, even in that situation. Still a better Jake Roberts story than what I met him, so I... I... <laughs> yeah, seriously, as much as I would not want to meet Jake Roberts in a bathroom, I think I, I would choose that over seeing him in the state you saw him in. I'd choose rather of not having seen him altogether, really. Oh, really? <laughs> Next up, from Crawford Kyrie, as bleak as it starts out, his Beyond the Mat and Heroes of Wrestling appearances, just so we can look back and say, you can come back from this. There are so few happy endings in wrestling after chapters like those. We all need a win, especially nowadays. That said, I've also got to be a suck up and say, nothing has ever gotten across Jake's character quite so clearly as Kevin and Adam's hypothetical impression of Jake negotiating with a knife-wielding plane passenger from the Road Stories Bibliotech. Ah, that's the Road Stories Bibliotech where the... We think we ended up removing that section retrospectively because literally the day we released it we recorded like a month prior was the day the george floyd protests happened and the story centers around a wrestler who tries to restrain an unruly passenger by putting his knee on the back of their head and it's just like ah we have to remove that now i think you know obviously it's still an incredibly sensitive issue and all that but we were just talking about like the the idea of if there was a wrestler on a plane and say there was an incident happening like someone was was being violent or being you know very very scary as in the case of this this was happening on the plane what wrestler would you call upon and we were like jake roberts because jake wouldn't even have to get out of his seat he'd just be like it's a foolish man (laughs) who would fly so close to the sun like icarus and yet take the chance to lose his wings and then they just want to have sex with him in the, yeah. the plane toilets. They're like, oh, come on, let's have sex. Sorry. Go make High Club. Sorry, we'll, we'll, go, we'll, go, we'll go sit down. <laughs> Sorry about that. I think the one thing I would, would pick up on what, what Kyrie said there is that it does seem somewhat frustrating that Jake kind of disavows so much of that stuff still. And for the reasons that he originally disavowed us, even when we looked at that documentary, which is like nearly 15 years ago, when, as, as, as Kyrie points out, that you can really see the progress there. I, I would think you know, he could view, not have to watch it, but at least view Beyond the Mountain's slightly different perspective now that he's come out the other side of this and mm-hmm. you know, that he's, he's had so much progress and all that. I don't know. I think it's that shows you how deep that scar runs on Jake, I guess, that he'll never probably be in a position where he can say, yeah, I accept what happened there, you know, or, or my role in that or whatever. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally now from What's Your Favourite Podcast... As much of a great performer as he is, I can't bring myself to like him because of his history of animal cruelty. From generally treating his snakes like shit back in the day, to letting one starve to death later on, and then showing no remorse in interviews, Mm. I can't enjoy his work knowing he has such little consideration for animals. He has a fascinating story and is one of the best of all time on the mic, but I just can't see past animal cruelty. Maybe if you replace snakes with dogs, more people would feel the same way. Yeah, honestly, I mean, we did touch on it earlier in the episode, and it's something that I've I've really struggled with. I kind of try and contextualise it and when it happened and all that, and who should have been responsible. I think we can all agree that the last person in the world who should have been given all these snakes for as many years as he was was Jake Roberts. Personally, I think the responsibility on him is much more so when it became his own oh yeah, his own gimmick or mm. whatnot. And it was his responsibility. And Which he, is when all the really bad stuff happened. And that's when he's, you know, he got done in for animal cruelty as yeah. well. But like, I feel myself to be a hypocrite if I still watch wrestling involving people who have done unspeakable things to other humans, emotional, physical and otherwise, and then said I can't watch because of 
animal cruelty. I un- I understand animal cruelty is a very sensitive topic. I've worked in this this world. I've dealt with the consequences of animal cruelty in a lot of the work that I did with with house cats and stuff like that. So I totally understand why you would be uncomfortable. I think if you're looking to see a full throated defense of the use of animals in wrestling, you're as close as you can get to it is what we've said in terms of why they've used it. But I will say Jake Roberts and all the animal holders during the WWF, they've got something to answer for. Ultimately, Vince McMahon has a whole hell of a lot to answer for. And as well, to this day, you know, you're seeing it in AEW, as we've already mentioned on this Mm -hmm. this very show. So, like, wrestling as a whole has a huge issue. I think very easily, and rightly so, Jake Roberts is the figurehead of animal cruelty in wrestling. But I don't think you'd be right to say that he is the sole perpetrator and should be the sole target of your anger. If you're angry about animal cruelty and wrestling right now, you need to be full throated about it every single time that you see it. Mm-hmm. And that means a zero tolerance policy as it comes to seeing that on an AW, WWE, indie show, whatever it is. I don't think they should be using it unless it can be proven up and down that it'll be safe. And with the pandemic, that will probably not be anytime soon. No. When when it comes to working with animals in pretty much any other industry, you know, film, TV, music you know there's so much safeguarding that goes on there's so many people involved to make sure that it's safe for the the people who are working with the animals but even more importantly the animals themselves to make sure they're not distressed or hurt or yeah there's a lot of work involved in working with animals it's a whole industry and i think it's a bit sad and scary that wrestling has been so cavalier as to not bother adhering to many rules and regulations when it comes to animal welfare yeah unlike tv and film industries where they have to obviously have a message saying no animals were harmed and they have to have certain supervisors on on you don't get that in wrestling no exactly you don't have that they, they don't care but then this is wrestling which is a notoriously shifty industry yeah, they don't care about humans at the no. best of times on their roster why would they care yeah. about animals i all i will say is though like when this issue comes up it reminds me very much of there was a movie my friend who I used to do a film review show with back in Galway way way back in the day he showed me called like Bad Boy Bubby or something like that it was this like kind of Australian like art house classic type of thing and he wanted to show it to me to show me like kind of this really cool weird David Lynch type movie and we watched the movie and it blew me away it was really fucking weird and disturbing and all of that and quite haunting and, and, and in a good way I think I wasn't really sure then afterwards I did some research on it before we did the, the episode and I found out that there's a scene involving a cat where there's implied animal cruelty but the cat actually died while they were doing the oh scene and as soon as I found that out it was like curtains come down I can't no nothing about this movie has any yeah. value to me and I, could, I couldn't bring myself my friend who had spent years advocating for the movie and not knowing this had a much more agonised kind of opinion about it, mm. which is probably how I'm coming across, and I totally understand that. But all I'll say is that if you're someone like me who doesn't see just Jake the Snake Roberts and immediately go, animal cruelty, no, turn off the TV. If you're not like that, I understand that because I'm not like that, even though I care about animal welfare. But don't be surprised if someone says, I don't want to see anything to do with that, mm. or they have, a, they have a line that they won't cross and that's it. Like, just beware that this issue affects people a lot and it may be unpalatable for folks, you know? I think it's sad that we're not at a point in society where animal welfare is taken all that seriously. Like, it seems to me like it's on, it's it's the responsibility of the promotions and the brands 
to make sure that any animals involved in their work are treated fairly the same way as you'd expect their employees to be mm. treated fairly like it's on them it's going to reflect badly on them changing but, attitudes like that is always impossible and as as what's your favorite podcast has pointed out and something you and i have discussed about this before i think we even mentioned it earlier on this episode when it comes to animals which aren't cute and fluffy you know like dogs and cats and rabbits and Mm. things that there is a lot more abuse that goes on and people don't take it as seriously yeah i mean i i I once sat through a three-hour conference about animal cruelty in the fish industry and just simply because fish are so unexpressive how really painful cruel practices that they can show by measuring the stress hormones in their blood that they hate being hooked and they hate all these things happening to them and we still continue to do that even in the uk in lots of places simply because that's fucking fish though like fish can't feel anything fish hasn't got brain very intelligent creatures actually you know Mm -hmm. it's and i think that reflects a lot of it i think Animal welfare is one of these things where trying to right historic wrongs is is a big brick wall in wrestling. Yeah, I think generally in wrestling and in a lot of industries, trying to right historic wrongs is 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 <laughs> I don't want to say hopeless, hard, hard, almost impossible. I would say the best you can do is say like, okay, so what can we make do to make sure this never ever ever happens again? Yeah, that that seems fair. Yeah, you know, and like, here's the big thing about it. I would say at the end of this episode, having looked at all the fabulous tweets we've gotten, all the promos, the matches, the stories, the movies, the several movies we've watched for this, I'll tell you one thing that Jake Roberts probably didn't actually need. He probably didn't need the snake, Joe. No, he didn't need you know, the snake. We said it before. He, pr- he probably didn't. No. It made a lot of people go, wow, and maybe made him a little bit more memorable. But yeah. he was already, as, as described there, he was a top-down design wrestler. He had everything going from already. He didn't need that gimmick. You no, know? he didn't. And honestly, like anyone who fucking knew Jake knew he was a neglectful person who was barely able... Oh, no, he's not even capable of looking after himself. So he's certainly not capable of looking after any animal if you're feeling riled up and impassioned about animal cruelty and historic animal cruelty in wrestling ask yourself who's the number one person you should be directing this at is it jake roberts or is it the wwe it's a real shame that he he hasn't expressed any remorse because he doesn't have remorse joe that's That's, it that's like the biggest and you can improve as a person Mm. and overcome your demons and still be a piece of shit about other issues Mm. and he has no remorse about and that's like i think the the saddest, biggest thing is that that he has no, he shows no remorse. So, well, it didn't, that, you know, it shows you that wrestlers are more complicated than they stop taking drugs and therefore they're a great person suddenly no. in all aspects of life. There's, there's nuance there. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, finishing up here now on Jake. We've seen so much from him. I think we may even be revisiting the old cinema club in a not too distant future to have a, another look at something that might be a little bit more pertinent now. But I know there's been a lot of wrestlers recently who you've watched and it's went from being just kind of something you watched for the episode and you can appreciate it or whatever. You know, this isn't a Taz episode. This feels like it's been a Ric Flair episode, if you know what I mean. Mm. It feels like Jake is kind of like a permanent part of your wrestling diet almost now. Is that fair to say? Yes. I don't know if I'd compare him to a Rick. Would I compare him to a Rick? That's an interesting question. Hmm. I mean... I wouldn't because I think Rick is a better wrestler, mm. but I find Jake much more interesting. Yeah, and I think his promos I find more interesting than Rick. Really? Even though I love Rick's promos and they're yeah. great and very watchable, there's just there's something about the character work of Jake which is just like it's just incomparable. Like there's no one else who's quite mastered their own. Yeah, 
psyche of character work. I don't know, yeah, how you describe it. I just love because, you know, sometimes we'd be on YouTube now, we'd be, we'd be scrolling through looking for something to watch and it'd be like, kind of, oh, here's a random Sherry promo. And yeah. all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, pop that on, pop that mm-hmm. on. Just 30 seconds, I want to see this. You know, I want to see the look, I want to hear the, hear the promo and all that. I kind of feel Jake is very easy going to become part of that, like, wrestling all-stars group for you, <laughs> so to speak. But you've had it, I mean, I know it's been heavy at times, mm. but you've had a good time. I've had a really good time. Ah, my main takeaway is I'm... I'm sad how things have kind of like gone for Jake. I'm really happy he's getting work again now with AEW. But selfishly, I kind of wish he was in more of a William Regal type role. Like mm. I'd love to hear him do like Q&As and talks about like the psychology of wrestling and develop some characters. Yeah, exactly. I feel he's got so much to give that you know there's lots of old guys who were wrestlers in the 80s and 90s who can still cut a great promo yeah you've got a three or four you've got Tully Blanchard yeah. Aaron Anderson you've got no shortage of them in AEW like yeah but you haven't got that many guys from that generation who truly understand how to create a character from mm. nothing and how to keep it going over the decades of your career I think that's much more valuable and I just I don't, know, I, I don't I, think I, he could work with just anyone but no. I think he could help out those special few I would love to see him. I know he, he had a MySpace back in the day. I'd love it if Jake had a YouTube channel or a podcast or something where he like brought on indie guys and was like, let's chat about your character. Let's let's talk about wrestling. Let's fight. let's talk about what's going on right now. I know where he's things are going. Podcasts and stuff. I don't know if it's been a bit like the nuts and bolts of wrestling or anything like that. It's always interesting to know with someone like that from that time frame of whether or not they're even comfortable talking yeah. about the nuts and bolts of wrestling and all that. But don't ever know, yeah. hey, anything like that, please send us our way. Use the hashtag hey to Jake Roberts to keep the discussions going as always. Thank you for everyone who has supported us during the old pandemic. And a big huge shout out to all of our lovely backers over at patreon.com slash how to wrestling. If you've not checked it out already, we were joined for the first time ever by Master Billy Keeble as we reviewed Survivor Series 2008. That's just part of the huge suite of exclusive content you can get yourself over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash wrestling. And hey, if you have got a project, a podcast, a website, a YouTube series, a shopper, an online store, anything you're trying to get off the ground in time for the holiday season, that'll be here before you know it. Get in contact with us, wrestling at gmail.com. We have advertising spots available. We have sponsorship spots available across the Podcrabs universe. Let us know if you're interested. Drop us a line. Information is available on Patreon as well. Joe, next episode. Who are you in the mood to talk about? Are you feeling angry at all? Angry? No, I'm not feeling angry. Dangerous? No. Maybe fighting? Mm. Screaming? No. Where is she? Where is she? Where next episode is going to be about, and this is true, my older brother's favorite wrestler, Ken Shamrock, cool. the world's most dangerous man. And let me tell you, folks, I may have shit the bed with Taz, but there's no way in hell I'm going to let Joe not think that this veiny, muscly parade flow of a fighting machine who's still wrestling in his 50s with a silver streak that there's no way I'm not going to make sure you think he's the greatest goddamn wrestler of all time. You have got some serious folded arms going on here. Do you know anything about Ken Shamrock? I know he is a legitimate fighty man. <laughs> yeah. He's he's good at he's good at all the fighting. I don't know which ones. I know MMA is one of them. One of the fightings. One of the fightings. And he's legitimately scary. And he's an angry yelling man. 
Okay. That's about, I think it's pretty much all I know. Those are your brand guidelines for, for Ken Shamrock, folks. <laughs> I am after your matches, your promos. I know very little, if anything, about his TNA run, so please send me anything that you think might be relevant for the episode. I'm looking for stories about him in the UFC and his acting career, of which I know surprisingly very little about. All of this, please, using the hashtag HowToKenShamrock. And as always, your home for all things How To Wrestling. If you want the match lists, you want all our previous episodes, as well as the details on upcoming episodes, HowToWrestling.com. Until next time, where we're going to be heading into the zone, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!